This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, October 27th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 286. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to our big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We've got a trio of congressmen coming in here. We'll be sitting down with representatives Clyde, Klein, and Rosendale. We'll get an update on the prospectus of World War III with retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor, and we'll get a MAGA update from the Center for Renewing America's Miss Kingsley Cortez. A lot of breaking news going on around the globe. We have a new speaker. We're going to break down the entirety of the situation and give you up to the minute on the latest. Joe Biden is continuing to fan the flames of World War III. We'll see how close we are to the event actually kicking off. And the Senate held a hearing on the border. You're not going to like the results. But before we get into any of the headlines, let's take it up to Capitol Hill and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's still here. Yo. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, of course, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started today, we're going to be up on Capitol Hill joining us for the first time. He's the U.S. representative for Georgia 9, one of our absolute favorites. Glad to sit down for the first time with Congressman Andrew Clyde. Congressman, thanks for joining us. Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Pleasure to be on. You guys have had quite the week, to say the least. We were really happy to see that Speaker Johnson was confirmed yesterday after some backroom businesses. I don't know what you want to call it. We're not going to call it dealings. We're not going to call it chaos. We don't fall into those mainstream media type, you know, uh, drive-by headline words. But you guys were able to hash it out, head out to the House floor and have a unified vote on something for the first time in a long time. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about leading up to and through that process yesterday? You mean just yesterday or the whole process? <laughs> well, if you, want to, if you want to go back as far as telling us how critical it was that Representative Mike Collins' memes were behind closed doors, we'd appreciate that as well. He's a great guest on the show all the time. I think I'll just keep it to what happened yesterday. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you that um, – uh, well, actually, let me back up to a day before when um, Tom Emmer decided to step down – and he realized he didn't have the votes. Uh, and I, I respect him greatly for that. Um, you know, there are just some issues uh, with Tom and, and the way he has voted that uh, some of us just could not get on board with that. And um, so he realized it pretty early and he stepped down and that opened up the field then. Now you had basically all the members of leadership that had come and gone. And the conference was at a point where they said, okay, we need new leadership, completely new leadership. And um, Mike Johnson, though he is the vice chair of the, of the conference, uh, you know, he's very well liked, but that's really a messaging position. And um, so he is really in a place, a very, very good place. He's a very godly man. Uh, he's a man of great integrity. Uh, when he tells you something, um, it's the truth. And uh, he's a man of high moral, moral character. And so that kind of person 
he's also a very humble man. Uh, but that was the kind of person that was needed to bring us together. And as you saw on the floor yesterday, uh, it was a unanimous vote, which was phenomenal. Um, hasn't happened in over a decade. I think 2011, if my memory serves me correctly, was the last time we had a unanimous vote for a Republican speaker. Yep. And so that was very important to have a unanimous vote. It said the whole conference is behind him. I think he will do a phenomenal job for us. His motto is servant leadership, basically empowering the members to do what we were elected uh, by our constituents uh, to come to Washington to do. And, you know, honestly, if you go back to January, the speaker fight in January, that's what we were about in January. I was one of the 20 uh, that held out and uh, until we had, um, you know, institutional change. Um, true change in the way that Congress operated. And so that was so very important, um, you know, fundamental change that, that, uh, um, that allowed better representation from the membership um, and therefore from their constituents. Um, so all the rules changes, regular order being one of them, you know, 72 hours to read a bill, uh, no omnibuses, uh, you know, 12 appropriations, um, individual appropriations brought to the House floor, which hadn't happened, I think, since 1994 or 96. Um, you know, things that Congress is supposed to do that Congress had not been doing for decades. And it was time to um, change that, as I'll use President Trump's famous saying, drain the swamp and get back to doing what Congress is supposed to do the way we are supposed to do it. And that is a member driven um, method. So I think Mike Johnson uh, exemplified that. And I think that um, uh, we are much better off going forward. And, I look, and I'm very excited uh, to work with him to make that happen, especially being on appropriations. You know, it's one of the main focuses is the 12 individual appropriations. And so um, I'm all in to make that happen for the American people. No, I like it, and I think our listenership really appreciates it, too, just probably as much as your constituents do in, in Georgia 9, Congressman. And I think, you know, when you look at the totality of it, and you mentioned a couple points that I want to hit on, number one is the institutional change. It, I didn't really think going through this process, you know, there was Jim Jordan, Tom Emmer, Steve Scalise, obviously Kevin McCarthy was hanging out behind the scenes, uh, people like Byron Donalds. They were floating all these names out here. I really think it was going to be someone like a Mike Johnson, someone who has a pretty established track record, but who's not really well known because if you just look at the way that the mainstream media kind of walk the fine line with this, they just for overall wanted to report on chaos in the Republican caucus and fistfights behind closed doors. We really don't buy into that because we have so many of your congressional counterparts on the show. And, you know, growing pains is part of the process to start over and, and get back to working for the American people. But at the same time, you know, they were trying to pump the uh, Israel-Hamas war and all of President Trump's court cases on the news 24-7 to kind of take away from the importance of what's going on in the Republican Congress right now. And I think starting with Mike Johnson, you could probably allude to this a little bit, getting a complete batch of fresh leadership and, and hitting the ground running like it seems like he's apparently ready to do is just what this Congress needs with the slim majority to finish strong into an election year next year. Oh, you're 100% correct. Uh, we need to have that fresh new leadership, um, that fresh vision, you know, the energized and, and what that does to the conference itself. It energizes the conference. Uh, it brings us together. It makes us more willing to work. 
with each other for the American people um, and and to come to, to to get to yes, because when you're governing, you have got to figure out how to get to yes. And we have definitely moved the conference to the right, uh, which is a phenomenal thing. I think we did that a little bit in January. I think we did it a lot in the speaker race. Yep. And um, I'm so excited about that. And I see that across the board where you have the moderates in our, our conference actually hanging out and talking and socializing their ideas um, with the conservatives and voting with the conservatives, um, which I've never seen before. And that is truly an amazing thing that is happening because we're building the relationships and it's of trust. And trust is really what has I think Mike Johnson has brought back to our conference trust in our leadership, in our in our speaker. Um, and when you don't have trust where trust is broken because of promises made that are not kept, you know, trust is a series of promises kept. I mean, that's truly what it is. And um, when you don't have that, um, then you really can't function as a single unit. But when you've got it, boy, then you're tight and you're moving forward together. And that's, I think, where we are. No, it is. You know, with the uh, Democrat-led Senate pretty much ineptly not doing anything this session, and then you guys having the slim majority in the House, the Democrats have been looking for a win, looking for a win, and I think the only way to get through not only appropriations, but to finish strong into an election year where there's going to be uh, a presidential nominee at the top of the ticket on the Republican side, th this has kind of set you guys up for complete success, and I hope that, you know, based off of the hard work that you guys put in to get here, programming note also with Andy Ogle is joining us later in the program and Lauren Bobert on Tuesday's edition of Steak for Breakfast. We will have had all of the 20 on our show since January. So kudos to us on the kind of uh, congressmen and women that are coming in here that are giving you guys the information and stuff that you need to uh, stay in tune what's really going on up on Capitol Hill and with congressmen and women who have the American people's interest at heart. So I want to move on a little bit and talk about some of the things that Congress has to do now. So we're in the appropriations process. We know that you guys got four bills done. There's going to be a lot of, a, you know, you guys set up kind of a pseudo calendar and some benchmarks that you guys need to hit to get these done before the end of the year. How likely is it now that we're going to be able to see some of the cuts that the Republican side of the House definitely wants to see in these appropriation bills? And, and how fast do you guys think before the end of the year this year that you guys can work towards getting all of those appropriation bills completed? Oh, I think that the House will definitely have all of the appropriations bills done before the end of the year. No question about that whatsoever. Um, how many we will get done before the um, uh, continuing resolution runs out on November the 17th? That's the real question for me, you know, whether we're going to have to do another short term. But one thing we are not going to accept and we will not do is an omnibus. We will not get jammed by the Senate with an omnibus. That's what they want. But the, we're not going to do that. We are going to deliver the 12 appropriation bills. Um, and, and even the ones that actually failed on the House floor, uh, the interesting thing about that is we can still conference those bills with the Senate. Because remind, you know, I want to remind your listeners that the Senate has not passed a solitary appropriation bill. Not one has passed on the Senate floor. They don't want to do that. Now, they've all come out of committee, but none of them have come to the Senate floor to be passed. Well, all but but uh, two of ours have come out of committee and we've passed four on the House floor. One one failed on the House floor. We've got another one today, energy and water, um, that I believe will pass on the House floor. And then we've got Ledge Branch next week and and um, we've got a few more as well. 
Uh, we will get the two in committee right now, the Commerce Justice Science, and that one is so important because of the Weaponized Justice Department. Um, and I'm on that subcommittee. And then we also have um, uh, Labor, Health, Human Services, and Education. Uh, that's the second appropriation that hasn't come out of committee yet, but we're going we're gonna to get that out of committee as well. Uh, I believe uh, before, uh, certainly before Thanksgiving, and, um, and we will get that out on the House floor as well and get a vote on that. So we will move all these 12 bills. Uh, that is a commitment to you. You know, we've conditioned our listenership as well. We have so many of you guys and, and gals coming in here and giving the information about the next continuing resolution that might have to get voted on. And that's simply because of how long this process took and that you guys are on a hard stop up on the holidays for, you know, the most part. But saying no to the omnibus bill seems like a kind of a unanimous consent between all the members of Congress that we have in here. And we're really glad to hear that because we just know that that's kind of a surrendering to the Democrats who are, you know, in the minority in the house and, and slim majority in the Senate. And, and again, all it does is continue to fund all of the awful things that Joe Biden's administration has gifted the American people with for the last nearly three years, which is kind of where I want to segue next. There's a lot of news lately about the U S Southern border numbers came out from uh, U S customs and border protection last weekend that showed they're confirming at least 8 million people, not including getaways, have come into the country uh, since the start of the Biden administration. You want to talk about the humanitarian disaster, not only just in Mexico and on the border with the United States, but all the way down into South and Central America. And then the wrath that's been unleashed on American cities. You see massive rallies in Democrat-led cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C., saying we need to just stop bringing these people here and dumping them off on the street. Alejandro Mayorkas, Xavier Becerra have taken no responsibility. Actually, they've given themselves straight A's in regards to border security and the way that the processing of these people once they come into the United States has been handled since the start of the Biden administration. And I just want to know how the Republican House right now with a new speaker is looking to tackle this issue head on, because I know it's at the top of the ticket right next to the economy for the American people. Well, I think the number one um, solution and the way we're going to do it is H.R. 2. We passed H.R. 2 already, but it is now languishing. Uh, the Senate is not willing to, to take it up. So we've got to use leverage. We've got to use a vehicle of leverage, uh, a funding vehicle primarily, I think, um, to attach uh, to which H.R. 2 would be attached and then literally force the Senate to, um, to vote on it and send it to the president. Um, that's our leverage. We have the power of the purse and we're going to use it. We're going to use it to get HR2, which is the finest uh, border security bill that has ever come out of the House. Agreed. Uh, and then um, and, and jam that through the Senate and make the president sign it uh, or he's not going to get any money. You know, no border security, no funding. And that's uh, the way it should be. Uh, as you have said, um, the southern states are sending these illegals up to the northern states uh, to feel the same pain that the southern states are feeling because of the Biden administration's policies, their open border policies. And then, then you have the potential of uh, terrorists coming across. We have seen countless uh, terrorists on the, on the watch list being caught. What about those that haven't been caught? Now, how many Hamas terrorists are coming across our southern border to do something um, here in America like what was done in Israel. I mean, that is a very real possibility. You know, now we've got the Second Amendment, and uh, that Second Amendment is a beautiful thing, protects not only our First Amendment rights, but also protects each individual citizen. And so um, I think Hamas is going to have a very different reaction 
Uh, if they try anything here in this country, um, then they did then what they got in the kibbutzes in Israel, because Israel doesn't have a Second Amendment, but the United States does. So, oh, we certainly I, do, and it's glad that you pointed that out. Which is kind of the next thing I wanted to touch on: the uh, you know developing war between Israel and Hamas. They're obviously entering a new phase of their ground campaign into Gaza. Uh, more stateside related here. Joe Biden is looking for money to send over there. We all know that there's funds and appropriations already baked into kind of the annual budgets for Israel as they're one of our strongest allies. And, you know, geopolitically, it kind of sets up something that's really positive in the region over there. But the American public is kind of exhausted with what's going on in Ukraine as far as the funding goes and don't want to see the house Republicans kind of falling into the same trap of like, you know, you're not funding the greatest war in the history of wars in the galaxy. If you're not sending money to Ukraine, I don't really think based off of Israel standing and, and how high they are up on the, you know, economic chain that they need as much help. Plus they have a lot stronger and sturdy leadership over there than they do in Ukraine as well. But, what are the Republicans do to providing some oversight on the money that's going over there while at the same time combating that endless amount of funds Joe Biden wants to continue to send to Ukraine? Well, uh, if you're talking about the funds directly going to Ukraine, there is not as enough oversight, in my opinion. And there needs to be the National Defense Authorization Act, um, you know, provided for a, um, uh, a, ro- a more robust review uh, of that. Uh, of the money going over to Ukraine. But I'll tell you that when the Biden administration wants to link the Ukraine funding with Israel, uh, with uh, uh, funding for Israel, that's a non-starter. Uh, that when it would come over here, we would separate that. And and um, we would definitely vote on funding for Israel because Israel is our number one ally in the Middle East. Yep. And they do have much better leadership. I think they've got mu- a much better military. And so, um, uh, you know, we're going to support them 100%. No doubt about that. Uh, when it comes to Ukraine, that's a completely different story. Uh, when you've got um, inspector generals that uh, that need to um, uh, completely review the funding for Ukraine and that hasn't been done, then, um, you know, we've got problems there. Uh, Biden wants that. I'm not in favor of that. So uh, we'll see what happens there, how that goes. But um, uh, but we definitely stand with Israel. And, um, you know, the Europeans need to step up their their game when it comes to Ukraine. This is not just an American fight. Yeah, we fact-checked Mitch McConnell on his commentary over the weekend, too, where he says our European <laughs> allies are doing a great job. They've they've done less than 10% of the amount of stuff that, you know, a quarter of a trillion dollars, if you look at everything that's gone over there since the start of the conflict. And then, you know, you might want to drop a Uno reverse on, on the Biden administration, Congressman. This is just a suggestion, but you should take HR2 and start attaching it to all those comprehensive Ukrainian funding bills and see how fast he wants to sign that uh, moving forward. I mean, you guys are... Obviously, you're going to figure out a way to at least get the Senate to vote on it, I feel. And, and moving forward, we think that, uh, you know, you guys are in a pretty good stance right now with, with Mike Johnson leading and uh, everybody back in line to get this thing a rolling. So it's been great sitting down with you today and getting our show kicked off. Obviously, we're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you, hearing you for the first time and wants to, where can they check you out? They can uh, check me out on uh, Clyde.house.gov. That's our official website. You can also follow us at Rep Clyde uh, on Facebook and on Twitter um, and um, on Instagram. Uh, we love to stay in touch with the folks of the 9th District and, and uh, make sure that that conservative message is heard far and wide.
Well, they heard it far and wide today on Steak for Breakfast for the first time. We're going to be looking forward to having you back at some point in the future as well. This is the man who's representing Georgia 9, Congressman Andrew Clyde. Thanks for joining us on the show, getting things started. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, guys, we're going to keep it in the same thread here. It was great catching up with Congressman Clyde, but we're going to be jumping in with Representative Klein right now. He's the congressman representing Virginia 6. Very happy to be sitting down again with Congressman Ben Klein. Congressman, thanks for joining us. Hey, always great to be with you. Well, you guys have had a uh, stellar week uh, since yesterday. So I think we'll chalk that up as a GOP win. I saw the uh, House Speaker was confirmed. Very excited for Speaker Johnson to be getting to work. And I'm sure all of you guys who had a unanimous vote for him are feeling the same. Can you give us a little bit of a, you know, overview of the backstory running up to that, how you guys were able to come all together? And then obviously we all saw what it looked like on the House floor. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm very excited for my friend, Mike Johnson. He and I are both subcommittee chairman on judiciary under under Chairman Jordan. And so uh, we both, he's one term uh, earlier than me in terms of his tenure, uh, but uh, we both have learned under Jim Jordan's leadership. And so we wanna take those same conservative values, take the fight to the Biden administration and to the Senate. Uh, he's been fighting, you just have to look at some of his old videos on the Constitution Subcommittee to see just how he's been fighting year after year after year. And uh, he, he was a natural. He brought every, he brings everybody together. Uh, we knew that ultimately it was going to come down to who was going to be the candidate that everybody kind of looked at each other and said, uh, he's good with me. How about you? And that was Mike Johnson, as opposed to some of the other candidates who are great and who are leaders, uh, but who inevitably had a, a crowd of a dozen or two who were not uh, fans. Yeah, we definitely saw that kind of unfolding throughout the course of last week. We did some pretty comprehensive coverage and had many of your congressional counterparts jump in and out of the show, kind of giving us updates. And, and you know, you have to, as our listenership, understand this is all part of the process. You know, when some of these America First candidates, obviously, Representative Klein said this is, I'm guessing this is your third term now. If you said Mike Johnson, who's in his fourth, is a year ahead of you. Exactly are going through the motions here, the Republican Party that's deeply tied to the lobby groups and to the establishment and to bend in the knee with Democrats when they have control of things, let's just say, for example, as we are now with the Senate and the executive branch, to just not be able to flip a switch and make sure that, you know, everybody's doing their job to turn the Republican Party around and make it more of an America first version of what I think, obviously, a lot of your constituents want to see. However, these growing pains that we went through, I think, number one, it was needed. And number two, we've got a pretty fantastic result as the end of it. I'm, I'm sure you'll be uh, one to agree with that as well, Congressman. Absolutely. You know, you look at it as a phasing in and out. You've got the phasing in of the America First candidates over the past, since 2016, really, since Mike Johnson got elected, but also a phasing out of what I would call the, the Boehner era GOP, which is the old school uh, meet you halfway with the Democrats, scratch my back type politics that the American people reject. And so those there's a tipping point and we, are re we have reached that tipping point. Uh, and it's hard for some to recognize that in our conference um, because many of them uh, have power, have reached the pinnacle of their careers and aren't ready to not only uh, do things differently, but just uh, let go of that power when it comes to uh, offices like the speakers. 
Yeah, you know, I do have to give you a compliment on the proceedings of yesterday as well. I saw one of the posts on your social media. You guys partook in prayer, which is constitutionally protected, obviously, on the House floor before you guys went for the vote. We saw a couple other of the fine representatives who join us regularly on the show, including Corey Mills. I'm sure you guys think he's an absolute stud after the work he's been doing up there as a freshman congressman as well. And, you know, just to be able to get back to the basics all the way down to the constitutionally protected things like prayer, uh, you know, when you see a lot of the, I'll call them colorful antics that usually happen on the house floor to me that was a breath of fresh air yeah you know uh, this speaker grounds his rhetoric and and his approach his principles in, in first principles essentially constitutional principles and and whenever he's talking it, it really is uh remarkable to see he's talking about whatever issue whether it's uh, an issue that's relevant today uh, that the founders might not have had to deal with uh, but he will he will bring it back to foundational core constitutional principles and the freedom of religion is just one of those things. He is a an avowed Christian uh, and really talks about the power of prayer, talks about divine guidance, talks about the the fact that none of this is happening by chance. And to Democrats, that's very jarring. They have fought to eradicate religion from public life. They believe in freedom. Uh, from religion, not freedom of religion. Yes. And that's not what the founders intended. And so to have a speaker who not only recognizes that, but who speaks so clearly uh, about it is is going to frustrate Democrats. And they are going to try and make an issue of it in next year's campaign, uh, try and call him a radical right-wing conservative. But those of us who understand those foundational concepts, those of us who understand the Constitution know better. Yeah, they certainly do. And it, it was just really a relief to see this kind of get back on, you know, solid ground. And, and it looks like you guys are off on the right foot. So good job of, of you know, party unification between everyone that was able to uh, hash it out behind closed doors. And we'll, we'll be obviously tracking this here on the show is one of the things that we really enjoy doing and providing for our listenership. I do want to move on. You know, there's a big Senate hearing today on, on the U.S. southern border, the disaster that's been happening down there since Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas took office. Senator Hawley, uh, Senator Kennedy were two of the ones that stuck out to me, hitting not only DHS surrogates, but ones from HHS as well in regards to the amount of children that have gone into basically slavery once they cross the border. They go to these, I'm air quoting now, sponsor families and have been caught doing work in some of the most abominable you know, environments known to man. And you know, it seems like there's no accountability. Everybody wants to say, I don't have the data, we don't have the number, we don't provide oversight. And... We know you guys have appropriations coming up now that you're back to work. You guys have hammered Alejandro Mayorkas pretty hard in committee as well. Sitting on the appropriations committee, Congressman, how do you feel these numbers are needing to be weighed when you're talking about the jobs and things that Joe Biden is sending aid packages towards you guys for and what it actually goes in regards to border security? Well, this tragedy is approaching just proportions that are uh, unseen before in uh, in history uh, to have the millions and millions and millions of illegals uh, crossing the border it is a humanitarian crisis it is a a crisis when you're dealing with uh, children 80,000 children not only uh, unaccompanied minors being tra- trafficked up across the border but uh, 80,000 who uh, are lost who once they have gotten here have been uh, either trafficked or uh, just unaccounted for by border security. So it really is a horrendous 
tragedy that is directly caused by this administration's border policies. And to throw money at it, which is what the administration is proposing, well, yeah, we'll give you some dollars if you give us all this Ukraine money. Well, that's not going to solve the problem. The problem is in the abuses of our laws by uh, by the secretary, by uh, the president himself through his blind eye that he's turned. And we need to change the policies um, and in addition, provide the money, the resources for the technology and staffing and other things for the Border Patrol, who is doing their their level best to stop the tide. But uh, because of an administration that's trying to undermine everything they do, uh, they are frustrated. They are they are feeling um, very, um, very distressed by what what has happened at the border and how they can't be given the tools to, to address the problem themselves. Yeah, when you see all of the, you know, direct administrators under Alejandro Mayorkas at the heads of all the agencies, CBP, Border Patrol, ICE, et cetera, all step down in the first two years of Joe Biden's presidency. And then a lot of the negative press that they see, you know, there's a lot of good people who do comprehensive work down on the border, investigative reporters and stuff like that. Journalists who risk a lot to go down there and really provide the American people with actual a picture on the ground of what it looks like. But at the same time, a lot of that negative stuff goes back to those brave men and women who go down there and have to put on the uniform and serve every day. And since, you know, Alejandro Mayorkas became the head of DHS, he just does not represent the job that they've been tasked with to do down there. No, he hasn't. And his intentional abuses have riled many of my colleagues. It's, it's long past due to get rid of him. The idea has been, well, why get rid of Mayorkas when Biden will just put somebody in his place who's just as bad, uh, if not worse? I don't know that you could get much worse. I don't know that you could find somebody as bad as Mayorkas. So wh- why not try? Why not try to impeach Mayorkas, get rid of him, at least send it over to the Senate? Uh, I'm shocked that they even had a hearing in the Senate, Democrat-run Senate, because they've ignored the policy almost as long as Biden has, uh, the abuses. But uh, I would say put it on the Senate. And hopefully, uh, as we negotiate here at the end of the year, when we're talking about Israel money, when we're talking about anything else that is the Senate has an interest in, um, the border has to be front and, and center. Not just to process people expeditedly, like, you know, that bill that was uh, suggested a, a week ago from uh, the, the White House, which, you know, basically right. said, we want money for Ukraine, of course, money to help Israel, and then we're going to do uh, some border security money. And then when you read the fine print, it says it will process people faster into the United States and allow the people who are still en route to the United States to be processed faster once they get here. So I don't think we should yeah. be wasting money on stuff like this when, you know, probably around 10 million people have illegally entered the country since Joe Biden took office. Congressman, I do want to segue, you know, I'm, I know you mentioned Israel. They are preparing right now for the initial stages of their ground assault on Hamas into the Gaza Strip as, as kind of uh, the next in phase of the war that they declared on Hamas after probably one of the greatest tragedies, the attack by Hamas a couple weeks ago, the world has seen in modern times. I know this is something that's going to be tasked with the House as far as like funding and spending goes. We don't in any way, shape or form think that we should not be supporting one of our greatest allies in Israel However, we just feel that the American public right now, after being so worn down thin on what's going on in Ukraine, don't want to see the same kind of thing happening with, uh, you know, helping Israel get to where they need to be to feel safe and secure again. How is the House looking to tackle this issue differently than how Joe Biden is kind of 
tried to railroad Ukraine funding throughout the course of his presidency since the conflict started last February over there? Well, Joe Biden is approaching this very differently. He, instead of uh, just trying to throw money at a problem like he's doing with Ukraine, he is intentionally intervening in uh, and demanding peace negotiations between the uh, Hamas and the Israelis. And better uh, that we should step back and support our ally. We did that yesterday with a resolution that simply says we support Israel. Um, of course, the squad voted against it and uh, a number of others who, Democrats, who uh, can't bring themselves to acknowledge the horrific uh, tragedy of, of just a few weeks ago. But uh, anyone who's seen the footage, anyone who's heard the stories uh, just has to be morally outraged at the behavior of Hamas. And uh, essentially acknowledge that Israel has a right to its existence. Israel has a right to respond, to defend itself. Now, if you ask the Israeli government officials, uh, they will tell you that for the most part, they have the funds, they have the resources that they need to defend themselves. Uh, they get billions of dollars from the United States every year. We passed a foreign aid uh, bill as part of the normal appropriations process that already funds Israel uh, for several billion dollars. Additional funds um, may not be necessary, may be necessary. That debate will be held. But I think more important than money for the Israelis is uh, knowing that the U.S. stands firmly with them, has moved several carriers uh, and, and other resources to the area. So we stand ready to provide that support, but that uh, it's not all about dollars at the end of the day, which is different than Ukraine, where uh, Biden just seems to want to throw money in a black hole with no accountability, uh, no idea or essentially no follow up to where the money goes in a, into a country that has historically been uh, rife with corruption. Yeah, that's the case right there. I think, like you suggested, maybe tailoring or redoing some of the already established Israeli funding and then supporting them directly with things they need, maybe munitions for the Iron Dome and things like that is one thing. But just saying, like, we're just going to keep coming up with these random millions and billions of dollars worth of packages that Joe Biden keeps sending over to Ukraine, I don't think the American public will you know, be too happy with that if it happens. It doesn't sound like it's going to. I think Israel is a lot more established and secure and kind of on their own two feet than Ukraine is right now as far as leadership goes speaking. So I'm pretty optimistic that you guys are going to be able to figure out the most comprehensive way to tackle that issue. Last thing I wanted to touch with you on, though, it kind of goes into everything we've talked about today. New speaker, getting back to work, solving the problems, appropriation process coming. The American economy is hurting right now. When the government is running to the best of its ability, it seems like the American public feels better. We're getting ready pretty quick here to be entering the holiday season and with the economy in such a bad shape as it is, you know, Americans are spending so much more every year on things like food, fuel, and shelter alone. How can they feel rest assured that the jobs that you guys are getting ready to do right now before you guys hit holiday break is the one that's going to give the American public some of the resolve they're looking for right now in regards to feeling good about getting through, I guess, the rest of the year and into the general election cycle next year? Uh, they should be outraged at the level of spending that the Biden-Pelosi team pushed through over the last five years. And what we have seen is inflation uh, skyrocket. And while Biden may be crowing about the fact that it's come down one tick uh, or half a percentage point, 
uh, it's still very high. And the increases that were seen on the shelves at the gas pump, those haven't gone away. And uh, the paychecks for hardworking men and women haven't risen to match. So uh, American families are hurting. It's a direct result of the policies of this administration. They're trying to wish it away. And instead, uh, what we need to do is to hold this administration accountable, uh, return control of the Senate to Republican hands who, and not just Republican hands, let me uh, clarify that by saying conservative Republican hands, uh, which would be a new step for this, for the uh, Senate, and then uh, replace it with an administration that is going to uh, return to the policies of the last administration and uh, put a priority on reigning in inflation and returning to energy independence. No, that's it right there. And I think with the unfavorable Senate map in the 2024 election cycle for Democrats, in addition Mm -hmm. to you guys finishing strong now behind Speaker Johnson and getting through this year, retaining power in the House, it definitely looks like there is a light at the end of the tunnel, finally, after all the chaos and dust has settled. So, Congressman, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. Always great catching up with you. It's been a busy week. I'm sure you're at least mentally exhausted, but it sounds like you're ready to get back to work. We appreciate that. We're obviously going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that's listening and hearing you for the first time, wants to follow you, where can they check you out? Uh, Klein.house.gov is the website and rep. Uh, Ben.Klein is the uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. Looking forward to sitting down with you again soon as the congressman representing Virginia 6. Mr. Ben Klein, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, guys. I just want to congratulate Mike Johnson. He will be a great speaker of the House, and we were very happy to help. I've known him for a long time. He's a tremendous leader, a tremendous man, comes from a wonderful place, Louisiana. He's going to be, uh, he's going to make us all proud. So at this time yesterday, nobody was thinking of Mike. And then we put out the word, and now he's the Speaker of the House. So I want to just uh, thank all of the supporters that I have, and I want to thank all of the supporters that Mike has. And again, he'll be a great speaker. I think you're going to be very proud of him. Mr. Speaker, do you support additional aid to Ukraine? We all do. There, where's, um... We're going to have conditions on that, so we're working through it. What, kind of, condi- what kind of conditions? We want accountability, and and, uh, and and we want objectives that are clear from the White House. But we're going to have those discussions, and it'll be very productive. We want to thank all the press for waiting. It's been quite a process. <laughs> Democracy is messy sometimes, but it is our system. This conference that you see, this House Republican majority, is united. Is united. <laughs> honored to have the support of my colleagues and what they understand about this is this is servant leadership. We're going to serve the people of this country. We're going to restore their faith in this Congress, this institution of government. America is the last best hope of man on the earth. Abraham Lincoln said it. Ronald Reagan used to remind us all the time and we're here to remind you of that again. We're going to restore your trust in what we do here. You're going to see a new form of government and we are going to move this quickly. This group here is ready to govern and we're going to govern well. We're going to do what's right by the people. And I believe the people are going to reward that next year. But we have a lot of big priorities ahead of us right now. The world is on fire. We stand with our ally, Israel. Jumping into the news portion of the show today, and and I have to admit, no, we've got to hear from Representatives Clyde and Klein 
they seem pretty optimistic about Mike Johnson's speakership and, and moving forward, what's going to be happening within the Republican Party after listening to those two uh, interviews. What do you think? Yeah. I don't know how you kept those guys uh, sorted out when you're booking them, though. Let's just say there was some uh, crosstalk between emails. <laughs> so I, I, I got emails back from clients, people saying, hey, you just sent me this. And one from Clyde's people saying like, hey, are you going to send us this? And I'm like, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to go by first names of their comm staff. So. Should have just had them both at the same time. Oof. Nobody wants to feel like second fiddle, though. Yeah. We'll see how uh, Matt Rosendale does in just a bit. We're going to be sitting down with him for the first time, and I'm assuming it's going to be a heater. But after three weeks of figuring it out, Apparently, members of the 20 and the 8 and some of the Matt Gates delegation of Congress figured out how to play the long game against Kevin McCarthy. I, I think you can't really take out of perspective. This may have looked like Plan D, but I think it's better to call it Plan A as far as the country goes. You have essentially decoupled Scalise and Emmer, who have deep ties to the establishment, K Street, and whatever industrial complex away from leadership and now put them under someone who's always been a lot more reasonable when it comes to it in Mike Johnson. I just don't understand why Jordan was such a no. My feelings are, is that he was so overtly Trump aligned. Yeah. But when you just go back and look at the receipts, just in this session of Congress, he absolutely hammered Merrick Garland in committee brought up the fact that Merrick Garland was putting out memos at the Department of Justice which were targeting people who were anti-CRT mm -hmm. while his son-in-law and daughter ran a company that, that published CRT <laughs> schoolwork. <laughs> he also destroyed Alejandro Mayorkas mm. and his handling of the border. I just don't have the data. And taking it back a couple years, you know, you have Mike Johnson as one of the lead lawyers on Donald Trump's impeachments in his defense. He was he was on Donald Trump's defense team for both impeachments. I mean, that doesn't make him Trump aligned? He actually went around the news overtly saying Nancy Pelosi belonged in jail after the January sixth one and, and is most memorable in my congratulatory post on X, formerly Twitter to him was the video of him holding up the oh, yeah. acquitted newspaper and then dropping it to where it's like a his face smiling and then he winks because he's right in front of Nancy Pelosi's office. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, do we have somebody who's going to bust open their shirt and there be like the MAGA logo across his chest like Superman? No. no. But we do we need that? No, because no. We, we have the people underneath them who fought for us to get through this process. And listen, I understand also there's a lot of harsh critics out there, but you also need to take into consideration the way the government works. I'm just always hesitant when you got the other side actually voting for this guy, like over Jordan. Yeah. But who knows? Hopefully it'll be good. To see the unanimous vote was great. And, man, Kevin McCarthy is just coping and seething. We're going to get to that in a minute. Oh, he's so salty. But I do want to address one of the biggest things and, and, and the largest concerns to, uh, you know, our listenership, and that's the money that's going to foreign places, namely Ukraine, places like Israel, etc. We'll be sitting down with Colonel Douglas McGregor a little later in the show, and we're going to break down just how some of that money is spent on both sides of every conflict on the planet currently. But here's the thing. If you have funding that goes to Israel every year that's already pre-baked into the budget, Mike Johnson becoming the speaker can't essentially eliminate that on day one. There's a legislative process that that has to go through. However, have you heard from a couple of our congressmen open up the show? They want to heavily scrutinize 
what that funding is and break it down to more meet the needs of the situation now. I think all funding should be scrutinized. And I mean, like we're, we're pushing for, we're sending things one at a time, not yeah. this big fucking conglomerate of, oh, hey, this has to get done. So we're just going to add all this other bullshit that we, that we want to get done. It sounds like foreign aid packages to places like Ukraine won't be attached to things like fake no. border security anymore, which no. is also another win. Yeah. And when you talk about the Ukraine funding, yes, we're sending so many more tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine now, which nobody wants. We hate it. We wish it was zero. But that was the money laundering that was already in effect. Yes, there has been money going to Ukraine since late 2013 before the color revolution happened there in 2014. So let's just take into consideration that these things are going to be metered down from everywhere that I'm hearing. And everyone that I've texted with, either if it's whether it's a physical congressman or woman or their team, Joe Biden was not happy with the results of his meeting with Mike Johnson yesterday. Although it was highly diplomatic, Mike Johnson essentially told him the party's over as far as the, the foreign aid goes to these endless wars. Mm -hmm. So all I could say is now that we're starting to gather those receipts, let's see where we go from here. It did take Kevin McCarthy. I like the direction we're going. Yeah, 10 months to just get four of the 12 appropriation bills done. Mike Johnson finished the water and energy one in 24 hours. Nice. So we're at five of 12 right now. And remember that mock congressional calendar that they had set up does allow for the appropriations process to finish before another CR is needed. So who knows? But if we get one and we're at like nine, 10 appropriation bills done, that's a lot more work than the four that we did for the last 10 months. So we'll have to see what happens there. A big part of Mike Johnson wielding the speaker gavel came on the heels of what Matt Gates did in the motion to vacate. Matt Gates also has provided a lot of insight on what was going on behind closed doors. We tried to give you guys bits and pieces, but we don't like to damper the process because a lot of this came from our listenership too. The pressure that you guys have put on your congressmen and women to hold them accountable, to be more representative of their districts and their constituents was pinnacle. And Mike Johnson winning the speaker gavel. So let's listen to Matt Gates talk about how a little bit of the backstory that led up to this. Tom Emmer, uh, I think, is well thought of. I think he's going to be a great whip for Mike Johnson. And he deserves a lot of credit for really moving through his campaign quickly, getting to a resolution. And what Tom Emmer and uh, Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan all saw is that the actual saboteur of their candidacies was Kevin McCarthy. Because after Tom Emmer could not achieve the requisite votes and withdrew from the campaign, Mark Molinaro, a congressman from New York, made a unanimous consent request to poll the body on whether or not Mike Johnson would be an acceptable option. And you know who objected? Kevin McCarthy. Because at that point, he hadn't figured out a way yet how to scuttle Mike Johnson the way he scuttled Tom Emmer and Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan before. So the, the swampy, underhanded efforts of Kevin McCarthy were exposed and they were vanquished. And that's why we all Americans should be excited about the ascendance of Mike Johnson's still, speakership. There still seems to be quite a bit of bad blood inside the conference, despite this vote. This is politics. We don't pitch underhand. Ooh, I like that. This nice. is the person who's second in line to the presidency. And think about the billion dollars in IOUs that the lobbyists and the special interests have for having funded Kevin McCarthy all these years. And now all of those IOUs are about as valuable as Confederate money. Because Mike Johnson doesn't answer to the lobbyists and the special interests. He answers to God and the Constitution. Mm. It's a lot different perspective on it. And here's the thing. You know, the, these people up in leadership right now, Emmer and Scalise and Kevin McCarthy, are so disconnected from their base 
and so entrenched in the swamp and the K Street and the industrial complexes. I want to remind our listenership, in between Scalise and Emmer, even before we really got hard on Jordan and Byron Donalds was still in the mix, Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, George Santos, even people like Tom Massey, Byron Donalds were jumping on X and jumping in spaces and saying, like, listen, this process is going to play itself out. All of them kept saying, and, and we want to remind you guys, keep Mike Johnson's name in the front of your brain because this is like a dark horse that we could bring out of left field, and the process just played out. And that was the thing. Even when it was McCarthy's guys like Scalise and Emmer, McCarthy also always had a delegation of never non-McCarthyers to vote for somebody else like Lee Zeldin or to vote for Kevin McCarthy. And him and Mike Johnson really don't have any connectivity tissue. So when his name came for the unanimous consent vote, he really didn't have anything on him to hold him by. And what it did, it... Even if he's not the most America first speaker of the house and he allows the people underneath him to work in such a fashion, at least he's not connected to all these people who have done nothing but bend the knee to Joe Biden and his administration since he took office. And hamstring what needs to happen. And that's it at the end of the day. Kevin McCarthy did not adhere to the promises that he made both in committee with rules and for things that he promised the American people, especially like the J6 tapes and all of that other stuff. He also got a couple senators bridges while he, you know, met on legislation with Joe Biden and then grandstands on things like the energy bill and the border security act, which at this point, I don't see any way they get through the Senate or Joe Biden signs them. So even though there was house unity on things that are common sense, like energy and border security, it's not like Kevin McCarthy could have them as wins because although they passed in the house, they're just DOA everywhere else. I think that's why at this point, best case scenario, someone that helps obviously grease the gears for President Trump's candidacy, as well as he's looking to claim the Republican nomination here in just a bit. I think Mike Johnson is a uh, plausible alternative for where we're at, and I'm optimistic to see what he's going to do. I do like the fact that he's faith-based as well, and, and that really resonates with a lot of the America First congressmen and women and their constituents throughout the country. So we just have to kind of play it by ear. And then everybody's hammering him, oh, it's been 24 hours, and he hasn't this, that, or the other thing. Guys, he just obtained the third in line of the presidency. He just became the Speaker of the House. Yeah, you might want to make some calculated moves at that point. Well, royal order of business one is usually meet with the other people who are in power. So he met with Chuck Schumer. He met with Mitch McConnell. He went over to the White House and had lunch with Joe Biden and Kakala. And now it's time to get back to work. Well, painful for them because the Ukraine slush fund is drying up. So, And we're still going to send stuff there. We're going to have to start sending more of uh, Hunter Biden's art over there for them to sell. There you go. penis blow paintings <laughs> we're, we're, we're not going to be sending another quarter of a trillion dollars over to ukraine under mike johnson i can guarantee you that um you know matt gates also said he wouldn't be as critical of mike johnson in the motion to vacate stipulations because again these aren't the ones that mike johnson agreed to these were the ones that kevin mccarthy didn't adhere to so we'll, we'll see how they rework that but it's like when you see people that are so closely aligned to President Trump, like Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and all of those people, and then all the freshman congressmen and women who have been great, like Eli Crane and, and Corey Mills, but then like some of the established people who really have no connection anymore. When you see Chip Roy and Tom Massey kind of getting on board for this guy, it says something. Because of, of all the people that we had beforehand, you couldn't get them to agree on anything. So... We'll, we'll, we'll heavily scrutinize it, 
But we hope that Mike Johnson wants to move this Republican Congress for the back end of this session, the 118th, in the right direction. We're going to hear from the speaker now. He appeared for a Boom exclusive last night mm. with Noah's favorite Fox News commentator, Boomer Sweat Sean Hannity. Or is he my favorite? I don't know, because he's not mine. <laughs> What's the way? Why is it going to be mine? Do you like when I send you those screenshots of every time Sean Hannity posts somebody that listens to our show calls him <laughs> Boomer Sweats underneath it? Or they or they quote the post on X and they're like, hey, this podcast calls him Boomer Sweats. <laughs> and they sat down for a little fireside chat to kind of hear about what the speaker's intentions are and, and how he's looking to hit this and hit the ground running. We First thing I want to cover is how Mike Johnson looked at the Biden administration because a lot of people said that, you know, the Republicans have been all but toothless and going after Joe Biden impeachment-wise. Let's hear the speaker. The Toothless Podcast. I like it. Joe Biden swore to the American people both as a candidate and as president. Not, not one time did he ever speak to his son, his brother, or anybody for that matter about their foreign business dealings. We know that is a flat-out lie. We've learned from James Comer and his investigation that we are talking about tens of millions of dollars taken in from a lot of adversarial countries, some of our top geopolitical foes like China, yeah. Russia, uh, Ukraine, uh, Romania, Mexico, other countries, tens of millions. They've discovered all of these um, shell corporations. They've discovered nine particular Biden family members have been paid. And then you have the issue of Joe on tape admitting that he used our money, taxpayer money, to leverage a billion dollars in loan guarantees, which was Obama administration policy to fire a prosecutor investigating his son. Well, one of the benefits of that, his son continued to get paid for a job he admits he had no experience in at a time where he was dealing with a drug problem. That sound, that's that a, sound like to you? That's a pretty good recitation of the facts. And as John Adams said, facts are stubborn things. They're hard to ignore. I, like that. Uh, I, I believe uh, the documents are proving all that. As, as my good brother Jamie Comer often says, the bank records don't lie. So we have the receipts on so much of this now. It's a real problem. That's the reason that we shifted into the impeachment inquiry stage on the president himself. Because if, if in fact, all the evidence leads to where we believe it will, that's very likely impeachable offenses. You know, that's listed as a cause for impeachment in the Constitution. You know, bribery and, and uh, other high crimes and misdemeanors, bribery is listed there. And, and uh, it looks and smells a lot like that. And I think the evidence, we're going to follow the truth where it leads. We're going to engage in due process because, again, we're the rule of law party. I know people are getting anxious and they're, they're getting restless and they just want somebody to be impeached. But that's not, we don't do that like the other team. We have to, we have to base it upon the evidence. And the evidence is coming together. We'll see where it leads. I'll tell you one thing, after what Mike Johnson did to adamantly defend President Trump in both of his impeachment trials, if you think he's going to be pumping the brakes on moving Joe Biden's impeachment inquiry to full-on impeachment, you need to get your head examined. Because as soon as they reach any kind of viable threshold, and believe me, there's, there's, I know there's pictures of like the check, and then there's direct wire transfer, this, that, and the other things. You have all these witnesses. We're going to hear later in the show, apparently there's been like 40 FBI agents dressed up as like drivers, butlers, waiters, house cleaners around the Bidens for like the last 30 years. And they're all starting to blow the whistle right now. Mm. But this FBI is covering it up and covering them up as well. Were there any FBI agents dressed up like stand-up paddleboarders? <laughs> Barack Obama was there, apparently. Yeah. yeah. But here's the thing. Mike Johnson is not going to say like, 
we need to continue to prolong this impeachment inquiry process when Jamie Comer and Jim Jordan and the rest of the impeachment inquiry brass need to switch gears, you will see that this will move into an impeachment trial. And, and I believe that they've already crossed the threshold, but they want all of their bases covered. They don't want this to be like a President Trump impeachment trial where everyone's saying, like, opinionative statements means high crimes and misdemeanors or worse. They want actual receipts like they're starting to garner and they've listen if they're putting out those checks on social media the photocopies of the checks of joe biden and his brother doing the loan bullshit they've already got worse oh yeah so if, if that's what's leaking that's the tip of the iceberg yeah it certainly is and we're still at the tip of the show right now I want to remind everybody congressman matt rosendale is going to be joining us for the first time in just a few minutes and wherever you're listening today whether it's on apple spotify google podcast or iHeartRadio, radio please follow the show defeat the mainstream media Break through the paywall and follow our show for free. All of these guests, all of our content are 100% free. We will never ask you for a dime. In addition, find us on social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Check out those Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow them and hit the notification bell. Ukraine funding, as we've talked about for the entirety of the show so far, is one of the biggest things on America First Minds. Of course, Boomer Sweats was going to ask him about it. Let's hear it. I told the staff at the White House today that our consensus among House Republicans is that we need to bifurcate those issues. I agree with your assessment in Ukraine, and that's why the American people are demanding some real accountability for the use of those dollars. Now, we can't allow Vladimir Putin to prevail in Ukraine because I don't believe it would stop there, and it would probably encourage and empower China to perhaps make a move on Taiwan. We have these concerns. Um, we're, we're not going to abandon them, but we have a responsibility, a stewardship responsibility over the precious treasure of the American people. And we have to make sure that the White House is providing the people with some accountability for the dollars. And we want to know what the objective there is. What is the end game in Ukraine? The White House has not provided that. I was at the White House for a couple of hours today, and I told the, the staff there that this is where we are. This is where the House Republicans are. So we're going to look that, at Israel separately. That kind of money is that America having a proxy war with Putin and Russia? It's a great concern. We've got a group of our colleagues here in the House, led by Mike Garcia out of California, a brilliant legislator and a top gun pilot. Good and some of our veterans have gotten together. Dan Crenshaw is involved in this and others. Oof, they came man. up with a document that presents 12 critical questions for the White House to answer as a condition of our supplying the additional support. These are not hard questions, Sean. These are things the White House should be forthcoming about. I delivered that myself. Oh, you did deliver it to the president? I delivered it myself today, and, and to the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. And, and read it? Uh, he says he's studying. Going to, he's going to okay. study yes. tonight yes. during the show. Yes, so okay. uh, we, we want to be cooperative. We need to work together on this, but we, we owe it to the people to know what the plan is, where the money's going to be spent, and we need some auditing for the dollars that we've already sent over there. These are not tough Love questions, it. right? Mm -hmm. Israel is a separate matter. We're going to bring forward a uh, standalone Israel funding measure over $14 billion. Is but it's $14 billion enough? That, well, Israel's requested a little less than that, actually. The White House did uh, by way of Israel. And $14.5 specifically is what we're looking at. It's a very specific number tied to very specific measures. But here's the important thing that distinguishes House Republicans from the other team. We're going to find pay-fors in the budget. We're not just printing money to send it overseas. We're going to find the cuts elsewhere to do that. Let me ask. I like that as well. And remember, out of the $6 billion that annually goes to Israel anyways, it looks like they're going to double it up for one time. I mean, they are entering war. It could lead to a much broader war. There are some bombings going on in, in northern Gaza right now as we're in the Friday edition of our show that are a lot biglier than we've seen before. 
And it looks like Israel's getting ready to roll into their ground offensive portion. You know, we'll be covering that a little bit more in our next segment in regards to, uh, I don't know, I guess the continuing downward spiral into Jeez. World War Three. We're all going to be taking a ride on. But Can we just not do World War Three? I know. Well, we'll see what happens. You know, hopefully these, these people in the House, I, I think showing Joe Biden – what I think they're doing, Mike Johnson is extending the olive branch right now, and he's going to be like, this is our concerns, and if they just continue to ignore it, and then Joe Biden's going to, I'm going to write a $11 billion new aid package for Ukraine, and they send it down to the House, I think it's going to go directly in the shredder and say, like, listen, we asked you to address our concerns. We obviously ideologically line up in a couple areas that you do. Namely, they don't want Putin to have overt victory in Ukraine. Yeah. But here's the deal. If you just want to keep sending all of our everything over there, then now it's time to end that. And I don't think Joe Biden's going to really enjoy the results if he can't get on board to really getting this stuff audited and and stop lining the pockets of Ukrainian oligarchs. So there's no reason for Zelensky's wife to come over to New York a couple weeks ago and spend a million dollars at Cartier's. Yeah, that was a little weird. And I don't know how anybody, even sweatsuit, would not think that that was bad optics. I mean, I get it. You were already wealthy from fleecing your citizenry, but. <laughs> it just it doesn't, doesn't look good. No. No. Last clip we've got with Speaker Johnson on Boomer Sweats last night pays homage to President Trump. And when you talk about the alignment there, again, I think you're going to see it as Mike comfortably eases into this job you're going to see his more overt support for President Trump come back out as it's been in years past. Let's hear this. Because it's thousands of dollars more for the same type of home. It grinds the economy to a halt. It's a disaster. That's the word right. you use, and that's the appropriate word. These are policy choices that got us in this situation. If you remember, if you rewind in your mind back to um, uh, right before the pandemic began, you know, in the Trump administration, we had the greatest economy in the history of the world. Uh, and it wasn't by happenstance. It's because we cut taxes, cut regulations. We focused on American energy dominance. We were doing and following all the policies that led to economic success and growth for all Americans. Everyone in every demographic, all boats were rising. Mm -hmm. We can achieve that again. But you have to do almost exactly the opposite of what the Biden administration is pursuing and yeah. doing. This is not rocket science, but we're so far down the road now that we have to make these changes quickly. And we're trying to urge our Democrat colleagues to take a look, again, at the basic facts. I mean, interest rates are so high now. They're going to continue to rise, apparently. Double digit, I, I could see. And when you look at the work that they can get done in the next year, in addition to the favorable Senate map for the 2024 cycle, and the fact that Joe Biden is going to lose to Donald Trump in the general election next year, they can get back to that greatest economy in the history of our republic, the Trump economy, in a very short amount of time under the leadership of Speaker Johnson moving forward in 2025. So I thought it was a telling interview. Obviously, Sean Hannity always tries to paint it worse than it actually is, even though things are pretty bad. That's why we call him Boomer Sweats here on the show. But it was a pretty fair assessment. Last thing I want to touch on right here, I have a an ex-post from one of our favorites. You got a zizzer? Yeah, Eli Crane. You know, he's going to be joining us again here in, in just about a week or so. But it, it's just kind of a reminder for the people who actually stuck their necks out for us up in Congress, the 20 and then the 8, maybe even the 6. It's, it's optional right now. But here's the post from him yesterday. For the people that called us traitors and legislative terrorists without a plan, our plan was to hold leadership accountable for the promises that were made 
and never honored. People are sick and tired of politicians saying one thing and then going behind closed doors and doing the exact opposite. Let's watch this play out. And that's from the Arizona congressman there. I think it just kind of adds to the totality of the situation that was this whole motion to vacate all the way through the new speaker, Mike Johnson. I am looking for lots of big things to be happening in Congress as far as America First goes moving forward for the last 12 months of this session. And then, you know, once President Trump gets back in the White House in 2025, we'll get back to real work and start passing some legislation that's meaningful for the American people. Remember, there's going to be nothing passed legislatively from the Republican House just because of the Senate and the White House right now. But holding them accountable, following through on the impeachment and all the other promises that were made that Mike Johnson plans on fulfilling is something that I'm looking forward to. We're going to be jumping in with Matt Rosendale right now, talking to the congressman for the first time. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the congressman currently representing Montana 2, sitting down with us for the first time. Very excited to have a conversation with Mr. Matt Rosendale. Congressman, thanks for joining us on the show. Great to be on with you guys. Well, we've had a couple of your congressional counterparts in already today, and they've given the new speaker, Mike Johnson, some pretty high marks. Looks like we got the speaker that we need for the country right now. It seems like a lot of people in the Republican Party, especially those who were members of the 20 and then the 8, seem highly enthused about his speakership. And we just want to get a little back-end commentary from you on Mike Johnson before we move forward and talk about some of the big work we've got moving ahead. Absolutely. So, Mike, look, I met Mike when I first came in. I was sworn in in uh, January of 21. So we've had some exciting times ever since I, I entered into Congress. But Mike is a um, he's a good family man. He's got an incredibly strong faith. I'm sure you guys have already talked about his background with ADF and his work there and his his uh, his hard fights to protect religious freedoms. So uh, not only that, but he's chaired the Republican Study Committee. And that's basically the, the think tank for the uh, Republicans up here to make sure that we focus on the policies that the uh, folks across the country have have directed us to go into. And and like myself, he's a he's a fiscal hawk. He recognizes that along with our southern the southern border being wide open, that the next biggest threat that we truly face is this mounting national debt. I mean, at thirty three trillion. And, and guys, I'll tell you, it's um. It's incredible to me the number of people that campaign on reducing the size and scope of government. And yet, when we go out onto the floor and we bring those appropriation bills up, and many of us propose cuts, whether they're through the Holman rule to completely eliminate a specific uh, position or whether it's just like I did yesterday, $1.4 billion. We could have gotten rid of all of the EERE, the, the uh, renewable energy crap that Biden had stuck into the energy bill, $1.2 billion worth. And, and to see the number of Republicans that continue to vote against this stuff. And, and so I'm hoping and I believe that Mike Johnson is going to be a strong enough leader that he's going to help us bring some more of those people along with us 
to uh, to pass this legislation to start reducing this spending and get that trajectory changed. Well, that's the thing. You talk about getting back to work, Congressman, and we saw yesterday within 24 hours of you guys hitting back in committees and, and you know, getting to the through the appropriations process, energy and water is already passed in the House, and, and you guys are on to your sixth bill already. And then when you talk about some of the cuts, I think one of the biggest ones that at least America First is, is highly concerned with is the amount of foreign aid that sometimes goes blindly into the abyss. Obviously, you know, the Ukraine funding is one that kind of strikes a nerve uh, with a lot of conservatives, especially those in, in, the, in the fiscal delegation. And then when you talk about now having to support our, our strongest foreign ally, Israel, it, it kind of gives us a little bit of nervousness seeing that there's going to be more money that's going to be spent regardless. But the fact of the matter is, do you think right now the House Republicans are ready to make sure that we're going to be highly scrutinizing that money that's going places and making sure it's going overseas to what it's going for and not just for, you know, the cause. Here's what I will tell you. Um, I spoke to Mike yesterday, our new speaker. I spoke to him yesterday on the floor and I was informed yesterday evening that he's already gone over to the White House and told the president that we will not be putting forward a supplemental that includes Ukraine funding and Israel funding and Hawaii funding and uh, southern border security all pushed together in one great big Bubba Burger, you know, so that the House of Representatives, they basically try to shame us into supporting Ukraine by voting against some of the other things that people might be interested in. That Those have to be separate individual bills. Uh, the House of Representatives, we passed rules in January. That was part of the big January battle where I was part of that 20, yep. as you know, and, and dwindled us down to six. Uh, part of that battle to make sure that we were able to get those rules passed that said we're only going to work on legislation that has a single subject. I watched the president's speech last week when he was talking about that supplemental bill as he tried to work his way through it and fumble through that speech. And, and at the end of the day, over $100 billion he was requesting, $60 billion of that was going to be sent to Ukraine. I will tell you guys, if you look back, at the very first resolution that was passed on the House floor in uh, probably March of 22, where they said, we are willing to send unlimited financial and military aid to Ukraine. There was three Republicans that voted against that resolution. That was myself, Paul Gosar from Arizona, and Thomas Massey from Kentucky. I'm not throwing open the checkbook to anybody, especially this president. And and I think that as long as our southern border is under the invasion that it currently is, we shouldn't be sending these funds out. I've introduced legislation that says Ukraine should not get any more funding support until our southern border is secured, until we have what's known as operational control of our own southern border. And, and I do mean that. Yeah, and you don't mean Alejandro Mayorkas' definition of it because we've heard some wild, you know, accusations that he's made talking about how safe and secure the border is. And then you just have to look on the news to see the amount of people coming in. There's another accident involving Border Patrol or DPS with people trying to get away from them. There's pot shots being taken across the border from the cartels that are brave men and women who are serving down there at night. I saw some video this week, some raw footage. They're throwing like Molotov cocktails over the fence to try and light fires and direct the Border Patrol away so they can go and sneak in like a mile up the road. And 
So, so uh, and when it when the uh, president starts talking about sending more money down to the border, American people have to understand that's not to secure our border. Those funds are going to be earmarked to build housing and provide social support, okay, financial support to illegals. That is not going to to suppress the amount of illegal immigration that's coming into our country. As a matter of fact, it will only uh, exasperate. It will make it much, much worse. And so the way that he's talking about uh, sending funds down there, what they're going to be used for is not going to benefit us. We passed H.R. 2. And I'm told I've only been here less than three years. I'm told that that is the most comprehensive, conservative piece of legislation to address the border security and immigration that Washington has ever passed. Agreed. That is a bill that will address all these folks that are coming in claiming asylum status. That's a bill that would direct ICE to start doing the raids again to take people and and deport them. That's a bill that will keep our our uh, border secure and continue building the wall and and the balance of the security measures that we need down there right now well no it's the truth and you know we're gonna have to figure out a way to get that at least to a senate vote i think maybe you guys might have to do a little uno reverse card with joe biden and attach that hr2 to some ukraine funding and say hey listen if you want one you got to at least vote on the other. So you might not want that Ukraine funding so much if you're not willing to vote on border security because it's a mess down there and uh, it's not getting any better. If you saw any excerpts or, or had the opportunity to check out part of that uh, Senate hearing they had yesterday with the Department of Homeland Security and HHS uh, executives up there, it was ugly. They have no idea where these kids are going. The the, the level of safety and care that's being put in down on the U.S. southern border. I, I believe uh, Secretary Becerra said he wants it ran like a Ford manufacturing plant when it comes to processing children who are coming across alone, which is, uh, you know, more than a red flag to raise. Moving on to the next red flag from the Biden administration, though, Congressman, I do want to talk about his handling of foreign wars. Obviously, a disastrous trip, aside from standing in solidarity with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu a little over a week ago. But besides that, all of our other geopolitical allies in the region canceled on him. MBS left Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on the tarmac for five hours before telling him to take a hike. And then we come back and see that there were dozens of attacks over the weekend from Iran proxies on U.S. targets. Uh, bases and even uh, military machinery in the region. And now we see yesterday that Joe Biden had, along with the Department of Defense, ordered retaliatory strikes against some of these targets. So when you're kind of looking at this thing unfolding in real time, obviously the absolute tragedy that happened in Israel a couple weeks ago is something that you can't really put into context with all of the other stuff. But you're seeing how Joe Biden and his uh Department of Defense is handling this real-time situation and how inflammatory it is while Ukraine and Russia is still going on. What does that say to the Republicans in Congress who, at the end of the day, do not want to see Joe Biden come into Congress to ask for war authorization anytime soon? What this, uh, to me, uh, demonstrates very clearly is when we have weak leadership in Washington, D.C., in the White House, that the tyrants and dictators around the world are emboldened. And when Joe Biden, see, all of this stuff, much of it is is uh, able to be um, eliminated. It, it truly is. We could have avoided much of this. I absolutely believe that, Ron. If you look back at when Joe Biden came into office, the very first day, OK, he rescinded the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. Not only did that cause us uh, a big hit on our energy dominance and domestic energy production, but it also sent a signal to these tyrants around the world that they were going to be able to enrich themselves 
by selling their own energy sources, okay? So that was the first step. The next thing that we saw happen was that he re-engaged with um, negotiations with Iran. Then we saw him re-engage with the Paris Climate Accord. Then we saw him remove the uh, sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. Then we saw that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. So it's not just one day, one decision that causes these people to act out. It is no different. I hate to use this analogy, but it's very accurate. It is no different than when the substitute teacher used to show up at school and you knew that she didn't know anybody in the room. And when her back was turned, everybody was, you know, acting up. The classroom acted up unless it was a substitute teacher that, you know, brought the roar out and started cracking people. But typically because they knew that they could do what they wanted to. And, and, and the tyrants and dictators around this world have done this time and time again when they see weak leadership in Washington, D.C. And, and Biden, all he did was prove how weak he was by taking all those actions. And so now we are forced into a position where we have to start taking some countermeasures because all the actors, dictators, tyrants are acting out. So, so he's literally caused the very problems that we are being forced to address now. And unfortunately, we've got the military industrial complex that embraces this. The Raytheons of the world, they want to see this going on because they make billions and billions of dollars in the process. And so when we start talking about making major changes in Washington, D.C., guys, billions and billions of dollars are at risk for a lot of businesses and industries. And they don't like when people like me stand up and say, we've got to make change. And the only way that we're going to make change is if we make change. No, that's the thing. You and a very few amount of your congressional counterparts have been standing in the breach since this session uh, was gaveled in back in January. And although you can have an overnight change like the motion to vacate, last thing I want to touch on with you, Congressman, what, what can you tell all the voters out there, especially the ones who listen to our show overwhelmingly in America First, who want to see swift change? I mean, I do like the way the appropriations bills are already getting funded and how you guys are attacking a bunch of different things like foreign funding and getting that southern uh, border safe and secure. But the fact of the matter is, is that people live in a digital age now. They want things to happen fast, and we try to condition them and, and try to help them understand every week on the show, twice a week, that decoupling from K Street and the military-industrial complex and the international lobby group is not something that's going to happen overnight. But now that every single two years comes and we get new members of Congress like yourself in there, like a lot of people who come in the show, this freshman class has been phenomenal. You talk about people like Eli Crane, Wesley Hunt, Mike Collins, and Corey Mills, who's a regular on the show as well. And you guys are definitely making a, a philosophical change towards what the people's house should be represented as and, and why they just need to take a breath right now that we have new, fresh leadership and moving forward for the back end of this session here, heading into an election year where there's going to be a president at the top of the ticket we, and a very favorable Senate map. We have a lot of things to look forward to as far as the Republican Party goes. We do. And, and what we need folks to do right now is to keep in touch with their representatives. Yes. It does take work. OK, but we need them to keep in touch with their representatives as we go through this appropriations process over the next couple of weeks. 
It is critically important when we start proposing those reductions in spending that they encourage their members to support the reductions in spending, whether that's home and rule to defund specific positions for bad actors that we have in our own government, or whether it's reducing the spending by billions of dollars that needs to take place. We're bringing $5 trillion in a year. We're spending $7 trillion. We have to reduce that gap. We have to to do it, or within five years, we will be faced with a $50 trillion national debt, which will consume 50% of the nation's revenue uh, just to, to pay the interest on it. So support your members, make sure you encourage them to support those reductions in spending. That's what's going to be priority for the next couple of weeks and, and put us on a path to, to prosperity, quite frankly, for the country. No, it's getting back to the basics, and you outlined it very well there. Congressman, we're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today so everybody could learn more about you and check out your great works. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they find you as well? At Rep. Rosendale. We make it real simple. All my platforms, at Rep. Rosendale. Absolutely fantastic. And we'll be looking to sit down again and have more discussions with you moving forward. This is the congressman from Montana. He represents their second district. Mr. Matt Rosendale, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me on, Rome. No, good seeing you guys. Sean, we can report um, based on senior military sources that U.S. warplanes have carried out airstrikes tonight inside Syria against Iranian proxy forces. We don't know the number of strikes. Uh, we were told earlier today that to expect that perhaps uh, F-15s and F-16s would be involved in the airstrikes, but we don't have confirmation yet how, about how many warplanes. But those strikes have been carried out. I'm told uh, it is in response to the more than dozen strikes against U.S. bases. Uh, the message is a clear message designed uh, to Iran and its proxy forces to stop carrying out these uh, drone and rocket attacks against U.S. bases. Um, but I'm told that the planes have safely left the area and that the airstrikes uh, are complete at this time. Um, they were uh, targeting multiple locations inside Syria and Iran Iranian proxy forces, Sean. Well, there was that last night. Mm. So apparently a squadron of F-16s conducted military operations inside of Syria, bombing Iranian proxy targets there in response to all of the pot shots they've been taking at our bases, the drones they've been sending all over the place, and then the, the missiles and, and things of that nature that have been fired on our warships over the course of the last two weeks as they've maneuvered into position in and around the Middle East and Israel. No, I know you were pretty excited to see all that happening. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good sign. That's a good sign. Sounds pretty terrible to me. Um, you know, what can you say? Joe Biden's failed foreign policy led by people. Austin, you've got Jake Sullivan and his complete misassessment of the entirety of the Middle East. Victoria Newland blowing up gas pipelines all over the world and literally fanning the flames that can lead to World War III, which is what we're going to talk about here. And here's the thing we're going to get a better look at just how all of this is developing in real time because we're going to have retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor joining us on the back end of this segment. For all of you that haven't seen it or are on X, Tucker Carlson did another edition of his Tucker on Twitter with Colonel McGregor this week, and it was absolutely fantastic. I've watched it a couple times, and we're just going to continue to pick up where Tucker Carlson left off and play it in all the developments of the week, but we're going to kind of lay it out there for you. Uh, as it kind of developed up through this morning. John Kirby was at the White House yesterday, of course, crying. 
and heavily makeuped. Man, that guy wears a lot of makeup. Me and J.R. Majewski were like tag team dunking on him on social media the other day, John Kirby, and and I said, J.R., I got to admit, I think John Kirby wears more makeup than both of our wives combined. And it's just gross and weird. What do you think, Noah? What? About John Kirby's makeup. Oh, I mean, is it something that he's opting for, or he has like people that just you know lay it on a little too thick? Just cakes on the foundation. It looks yeah. like he curls his eyelashes too. It's weird. No, oh, well, I mean if you're gonna do it, you might as well do it right. Let's hear him deny China's doing anything. Kirby, thanks. Um, back on the uh, Wang Yi meeting, you said that you would encourage China to be uh, helpful in the Middle East. Can you elaborate on what you would like to see out of it? Do you want them to condemn oh. Hamas? Do you want them to? use their influence with Tehran behind the scenes. And then separately, you have also called out Beijing in the past for providing support for Putin's war effort in Ukraine. What's your current assessment on whether that support is ongoing, whether that's Mm -hmm. reaching the level of a red line? You sort of didn't want to get into it, but it was non-lethal aid that was provided a couple months ago. So where does that stand now, obviously? Putin went to um, China uh, a couple weeks ago, so they're awful question from the White House strong. press pool. We still haven't seen any indication that China is willing to provide lethal capabilities to the Russian military. Uh, we just haven't haven't seen that. And as for them being helpful, they do have they are able to have conversations in some places like Tehran that 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 we aren't. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what Mr. M- m- you know what Wang Yi says when he when he gets here tomorrow and or this afternoon. So but uh, but there's Wang Yi? you know if I think it it would be irresponsible if we didn't try to explore this issue with them and see what their thoughts and perspectives are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you don't have the data? No, he doesn't have the data. They also don't have a plan. As you can see, their mismanagement around the world in regards to foreign policy has led to this. I mean, everybody knew that they had pushed Russia and China together. Now you have Iran propped back up after the billions and billions of dollars that Joe Biden has allowed them to make as a nation off of the energy and and deregulations and removing of restrictions on them in addition to the pallets of cash that we're giving them. You have all the other places in the Middle East, Qatar, Egypt, Jordan, all heating up. Obviously, Syria is always a hot spot. Turkey's getting pissed off. And it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to, hey, China, do you think you could tell your buds? Like, yeah, sure. We're just making money all over the world on your dime, and we'll just tell everybody to calm down. Mm. It's the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life. You know, and, and high-ranking Iranian delegation of leadership, in addition to some of the leaders of Hamas, who are protected in Qatar, they don't live in Gaza, flew to Russia this week. Oh, good. And had a meeting with Vladimir Putin. That comes on the heel of Vladimir Putin returning from China right after he hosted Kim Jong-un in Russia at the beginning of the month. So for all the people that were asking to calm down, it seems like they're doing nothing except holding high-level diplomatic meetings with each other. Meanwhile, they're probably just plotting our downfall. When you look at everything that's happening, when you look at the stuff, all the rhetoric that's coming from the left where they're saying, like, for instance colonizers don't count as combatants or whatever. So they're fair game. So if you look at how the rhetoric here is too, it's, it's almost like they're just setting up for insurgency action to start happening in the United States. Because as we all know, the the United States is colonizers, according to them. 
How dare we? So what does that mean? That they're fully allowed to just conduct any sort of terrorist shit that goes on in the United States? That, is that going to happen? Is that, is, that, is that next? I hate to say it, but I've already called that we're going to start having some straight up insurgency shit happening here. Listen, I mean, the boots are on the ground already. And after you saw with one man and, and, and a gun could do up in Maine this week. Yeesh. So just imagine a couple of well-organized former freedom fighters from the Middle East who want to do nothing except cause chaos and destruction. It's wild. Well, all they got to do is just hit the electrical grid and we're fucked. Yeah, that's, that's a great point you make right there. You know, while we're talking about China real quick, I do want to kind of circle back to new speaker Mike Johnson. You know, there was a... A ratio that happened on Twitter back in in 2021 where former, well, I guess former committee member, now just disgraced congressman Eric Fang Fang, Mm. yum yum Swalwell, (laughs) tried to make fun of Kevin McCarthy and said, is there an English translation for Kevin McCarthy's speech on the House floor right now? Ouch. So, of course, Mike Johnson quoted the tweet and asked, would you prefer it if we whispered it to you in Chinese? And then more relevant to this situation, you've got Mike Collins out there this week. I absolutely love some of the work that he's been doing lately. And uh, one of the congressmen, one of his counterparts on the Republican side, called for the complete destruction of Hamas to where Mike Collins went and <laughs> quoted his post on Twitter and said, somebody get this man a pizza box, referencing yeah. last week when, when Mike Collins posted the pizza box. on Keep his- bombing Hamas. On his official congressional account, absolutely awesome. So he did his he did his thing on 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 ruthless. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 Did anybody care? I didn't. I don't. I'm going to give it a ten out of ten just because it's Mike Collins. Yeah, he brought his A game, and they talked about memes. But uh, I mean, it might as well has been our last interview with him over a week ago, and uh, we'll have him back. I think first week in November. So we'll be circling back with Mike real soon, but stop trying to steal our baby. <laughs> Mike's absolutely great, and I think the biggest thing when you get exposure on, on, on a podcast like Ruthless is that obviously they have a lot more reach than we do at this point, but there's people that are getting introduced to him the first time, and yes, he can go in there and make fun of all the stuff that's going on up on Capitol Hill with the memes and stuff, but you start asking Mike about the supply chain, about domestic and foreign trade, about the influence of China, about the U.S. southern border – Mike Collins is brilliant, mm-hmm. and don't let his southern draw fool you. I mean, that guy may be one of the biggest Paps enthusiasts that I've ever met, but at the end of the day, he knows a lot about everything. Yeah, Paps guy too. Certainly is nice, and uh, you know, it's just interesting to see how things have played out with all of these meetings going on. Meanwhile, back in the states, we talked about it on our Tuesday edition of the show. The UN General Assembly was in session, and someone who. I guess you could call it graces every foreign terrorist watch list known to man. Don't kill me for <laughs> crushing this guy's name. The Iranian foreign minister, Hossein, Amir Badalian, arrived in New York on Thursday to attend a session of the UN General Assembly. Not going to kill his name again, but he praised the terrorists of Hamas on the General Assembly floor as lawful and legitimate and a resistance group to reporters as he delivered a belligerent speech to the U.N. threatening dire consequences for the United States and Israel if the Israelis continue their assault on Hamas into Gaza. And this is where? The General Assembly in New York. That's not even the best part about it. In between sessions, 
he went out and shopped in New York with a full U.S. Secret Service detail. Every terrorist watch list known to man. Our terrorist watch list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Gotta love that diplomatic immunity. Did he meet anybody on the street that he knew? No, but I think for the first time our listenership's going to meet him. Let's hear the Iranian foreign minister. Shows that we have always supported peace and security. Oof. But today in New York and the United Nations, I say frankly to the American statesmen who are now managing the genocide in Palestine that we do not welcome to expansion of the war in the region. But I warn if the genocide in Gaza continues, they will not be spared from this fire. It is our home, and West Asia is our region. We do not compromise with any party and any side, and we have no reservation when it comes to our home's security. The genocide in Gaza must stop immediately. The forced displacement of the people of Gaza must be stopped immediately. Today, Gaza is waiting for urgent and vital humanitarian aid. According to international law, the Palestinian liberation movement Hamas is fighting the occupation and has a legitimate right. Mr. President, according to our negotiations, Hamas is ready to release civilian prisoners. On the other hand, the world should support the release of 6,000 Palestinians held in Israeli prisons. Mm. He kind of sounds like a mix between Mario and uh, the Gestapo guy, or Schwab. It's a me, Hamas terrorist. <laughs> Vile rhetoric. Oh, we will come up through the tubes. I don't understand how he, this guy gets to just walk freely. Yeah, and you know what? That's fine if he's here and if you're going to have him come talk, but guess what, sir? You're on your own if you're going to go outside and walk around. His We're pl- not going to fucking pay for your protection. Here's a fun fact. His plane is parked on the same tarmac where today Corey Mills and a delegation of congressmen and women, including George Santos, will be meeting a return flight from the Middle East where 272 additional people who were stuck in the region was flied out and back home on the Corey Mills Express. Mm. I thought that was a pretty feel-good story, and we'll be catching up with Congressman Mills and Santos at some point in the very near future. Two sides to every Congress, obviously Republican and Democrat, factions within that, especially in the Senate, Reschedule for Tommy Tuberville. He'll be on our Tuesday edition of the show. That's going to be awesome to have Coach on for the first time. But J.D. Vance jumped on Fox Business yesterday to talk about all this foreign war BS and all this funding that Joe Biden has tried to blob together. But it looks like Speaker Johnson is not having it. Let's hear him. You want to stand alone for Israel. I believe your number is $14 billion. Uh, can you tell us about this plan? And is this going to entail a fight with um, Senator McConnell, who wants the big package proposed by Joe Biden? Hope so. 
Well, I don't think it has to entail a fight because the majority of the Republican conference, Larry, would like to separate the packages. Let me just set the table a little bit here. We have $14 billion in a request for Israel. I support it. Probably 99 of my, 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 my colleagues do support it in the United States Senate. It's virtually unanimous. On the other hand, you have $60 billion for Biden's approach in Ukraine, which I think is not in America's interest. Why not have separate debates? The only way you can do that is to separate the packages. There's another component to this, Larry, which is the political strategy. What Biden is trying to do, knowing that Israel aid is popular, is he's trying to use it as a fig leaf to shove an open borders proposal down our throats. If yep. you look at the border funding of the supplemental, it has nothing to do with border security. You're basically just facilitating the in-migration of illegal migrants and then transporting them all across the country. We're funding it. That's what the supplemental does. Why would we allow Joe Biden to pretend that he's helping Israel when all he's doing is really further opening the American southern border? It's bad politics. It's bad policy. And I think most Republicans won't stand for it. Love it. Love to hear it. Mm. It, it echoes a lot of the rhetoric that goes on in the America first delegation of the Republican House. And for the very few fighters that we've got up there in the Senate, like J.D. Vance, semicolon, Sophie, Luke, let's get the man on the show, please. Mm-hmm. You got to love what he's looking at as far as this one-time package to Israel and then highly scrutinizing anything outside of the $6 billion already appropriated for Israel moving forward which is a stark contrast to the opposition party within the Republican caucus up mm. in the Senate. Noah. Yeah. I believe we have a button for this man. Mm. Senator Lindsey Graham. Oh, listen, it doesn't matter how much money weaponry troops bombing sorties or anything that we do. It's never going to be enough for this guy. This guy literally is the meme of the soldier wiping the blood down his cheeks from the Revolutionary War. That's Lindsey Graham, really. And he was on yesterday with John Roberts, just absolutely getting it. And right before we're getting ready to jump in with Colonel McGregor, I think it's an absolutely great segue. Let's hear him. The idea that Hamas did this without the Ayatollah, Ayatollah knowing it, or he read about it in the paper, saw it on TV, is laughable. The great Satan in the world is Iran. It's not Israel, it's not the United States. We've lost deterrence against the Iranians. I am supporting President Biden the best I can. But you need to make it clear, Mr. President, that Iran is going to be a target uh, by the U.S. military if they escalate in Israel or continue to attack our troops. We will be behind you, Mr. President, if you will do that. Those in the field in Syria and Iraq deserve a commander-in-chief who has their back. President Biden, up your game when it comes to deterring Iran before it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsey Graham riding the nuke with the cowboy hat on oh, is like the end game of all this. You know it is. Yeah. Joe Biden, whose administration has funded both sides of every war on the planet right now since he took the oath of office back in 2021. It's getting called out by Lindsey Graham for not doing enough. Laughable, to say the least. Scary, to say the most. Yeah. And, and listen, we're going to bring it back down with a realistic view right now and get an honest assessment from one of the best in the game. We're going to be sitting down with retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. But before we jump into that set, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. 
And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a retired U.S. Army colonel, combat veteran, author, consultant, military TV analyst, an amazing commentator when he does it here on Steak for Breakfast, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Thanks for joining us again on the show. Absolutely. Well... I wish we had some good stuff to talk about, but it seems like things have gotten increasingly worse since the last time we've had you join us. And, uh, you know, you're kind of watching this entire situation that's gone well outside of Ukraine and Russia right now. You did, uh, you know, obviously talk to our listenership last time about the the proxy connections between places like Russia and China, and they're heavily involved in all of this stuff. But now Iran has kind of risen uh, to the level of being one of these major players in the game as well. And if you just want to start off kind of like in real time how you see the entire world get and lit on fire right now with a little commentary on that. Our listenership would probably really appreciate it. Well, I'd keep in mind that Ukraine, for all intensive purposes, is in ruins. It's lost its war with Russia. The Russians are moving very slowly and deliberately because, frankly, once they've taken Kharkov to the north and Odessa in the south, given where they are right now, they will have captured all of the territory that is historically Russian. And what the Russians really don't want to do is govern Ukrainians. In other words, they don't want to advance much further and then end up with a population of people who obviously don't want to live under Russian rule. So I think Putin is working behind the scenes to try and restrain Russian forces, to prevent them from advancing too far too quickly in the hopes that someone in Europe will wake up and recognize that it's time to put an end to this travesty. Uh, we obviously refuse to do that. And in fact, if you looked at this uh, latest budgetary request from the White House, we're shipping $60 billion to Ukraine. And people are saying, well, my God, is this more weaponry and so forth? But in truth, Ukraine's on life support. The patient is uh, effectively dead. The heart beats barely. It's hooked up. And about all you could do is give it periodically a shave and a haircut, but you're not going to rescue this patient. The patient is dead. And now at the same time, you know, thankfully, I suppose, in some respects, from uh, Biden's standpoint and his friends on the Hill, a new opportunity for madness has presented itself. And that is in the Middle East. You have lots of very foolish people who've decided that this is something that Israel and the United States should capitalize on, that This is Israel's time to strike and wage a war of annihilation against Gaza and its population without understanding that this is enraging the entire Muslim world from Morocco all the way to Indonesia. And we're also pretending, and I think the Israelis are making this mistake as well, that the region is largely unchanged from what it was 50 years ago. That, you know, just as they went through something similar in 73 where they were surprised and had to rebound from it, now they think, well, we'll take advantage of this and we'll just settle our differences. And Netanyahu, who effectively, for all intents and purposes, controls the United States Congress and effectively determines 
what we will do for them, militarily and otherwise, thinks that this is the moment to crush Hamas. Problem is, uh, Hamas is probably not going to be crushed. If they go into Gaza at all, they're going to take heavy casualties. They'll kill lots of people, most of whom are not necessarily part of Hamas. The international situation will get worse. And, you know, Hamas is more than just a group of people. It's an idea. And it's very difficult to kill ideas. You right. can kill lots of people, but killing ideas is a is a tough challenge. And in the meantime, you've got a very ominous development. Iran, of course, is a very powerful state. People act as though, well, it's backward. Not really. You've got to look at its arsenal of missiles, its developments in aerospace science, its technology, its engineers. No, Iran does not possess a large ground force that it would hurl into action, but it can reasonably destroy Israel with the missile arsenal at its disposal. Then you have a, an even more ominous development, and that is the Turks have now effectively said, if this does not stop, we will intervene and go to war with Israel. Well, Turkey has almost 90 million people, has the largest army in NATO, large air forces, large everything. It has the largest drone fleet, over 500 or something in that neighborhood of uh, dangerous drones in the world, whereas Great Britain has 10, uh, the, the Turks have over 500. So do the Iranians. They've developed some of the most lethal things. And what's really interesting about this is that the Shia and the Sunni have always been at one another's throats, and Israel seems to have achieved something that nobody else has in the last thousand years, and that is to unite Sunni and Shia against it. We uh, are now shipping over, as I understand it, uh, at least four carrier battle groups, along with battalions of air and missile defense forces, Probably a couple of thousand special forces. Remember, we've already got a thousand American soldiers in in uh, Syria in close proximity to both Turkey and Iran, which is not a good thing. A couple of weeks ago, we shot down a Turkish drone. And this morning, I guess, we launched strikes at uh, Iranian-backed militias in the area. It, it looks bad. And I don't think we're ready for any of it. Uh, we don't have any ground forces to send. The U.S. Army is down to 450,000. It's obviously demoralized and miserable. Uh, I don't think we're in a position to do much. A couple of thousand Marines sitting offshore is interesting, but not terribly potent. And if they try to go ashore, they'll be nice targets, but I don't think they're going to add much. So the best that we can do is launch air power and cruise missiles, which we've already begun. This puts us at war, obviously, with Iran and potentially Turkey. And once Turkey and Iran are both engaged, I would expect the Russians to come in, simply because Russia is a de facto ally of Iran. Iran has supported Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, the disappointing thing for Moscow is that Moscow was always accommodating the Israelis in Syria and in the region. And it made it very clear, for instance, to Iran that if you put anything on the ground in Syria, we won't protect it. You're on your own. And whenever the Israelis announced that they wanted to strike targets in Syria, the Russians have informed the Syrians, shut down the air defenses, and let them in. But the Israelis, unfortunately, decided to support Ukraine, sending over Mossad, as well as ammunition and other technical and intelligence assets. So the Russians no longer feel as though they should accommodate the Israelis. So I, you have the potential for a very large regional war 
that honestly, we're not prepared to fight. And remember, we've already weakened our war stocks dramatically. Yep. Everything that we have is being shipped over to Ukraine. If we get into a real knockdown, dragout battle, it's going to be very hard for us to sustain it. But no, no one seems to be thinking. I think everyone's emoting. You know, this is all very emotional. We look at pictures. We we are uh, horrified and join Israel in its disgust. And we are also looking now at what the death of three thousand children out of uh, seven or eight thousand killed in Gaza, and we're equally horrified. So everyone is emoting. No one is really thinking. Now this morning it was reported that ceasefire talks are actually underway between the Israelis. And our friends in uh, Hamas, well, you know, let's hope something good happens. Qatar is apparently mediating. Yeah. It'd be nice if something happened, but I'm skeptical. Uh, And I think the Israelis are skeptical. They really want to finish the job. But it's also possible that they're beginning to realize that they're soon going to confront the whole Muslim world plus and that perhaps that's not a good idea. I don't know. I hope so. I hope somebody is sobering up. Yeah, it's a, it's it's just wild. And as you're saying that, I'm watching in real time on the news here. There are airstrikes that are happening in northern Gaza right now. It's the uh, you know one o'clock hour on the east coast here on our Friday edition of the show. The airstrikes, uh, the munitions that they're using are so large that they can be seen for over ten miles away. Uh, with the Israeli strikes. And then, you know, when you talk about all these players in the game, you mentioned Qatar late, you know, that's where a big portion of the Hamas leadership lives and are protected. Iran has brought itself back after Donald Trump's foreign policy almost choked them out of existence, but based off of the fact that, you know, there was a a real potential if Donald Trump would have stayed in office that you could have seen some kind of internal revolution there. He had had crushed their global standing all the way down to less than $4 billion a year, and now just off of their energy revenue, they're bringing in over 70. In addition to that, it's whatever Joe Biden decides to give them in in forms of aid and pallets of cash, and it's really emboldened them to, to just be another major player back in this game and then when you see high delegations of the Iranian regime going over to Russia just this week you saw the foreign minister who's on every terror watch list on the planet walking the streets freely in New York while he's addressing the UN General Assembly it just shows that you know so many people have been crying about Russia and China Russia and China Russia and China for so long and they are huge threats to American sovereignty but now the fact of the matter is we've added another I guess, you know, shell to the arsenal of, of people who are just looking out to end us. And by Israel tripping into this ground offensive into Gaza, where it's going to be like you probably said before, Colonel, it's going to be a buzzsaw when they go in there. Uh, it, it doesn't look good for us and our allies. No, in fact, we may have already made, uh, sustained some losses that have not been reported because we sent some special ops soldiers into Gaza with some Israelis in a short raid. This is a couple of days ago with only one tank. And they had the living daylights shot out of them. So Hamas, despite all of these uh, bombings, thanks to tunnels that are down to at least 50 to 70 feet underground and reinforced steel and concrete, I think is quite prepared and looking forward to the battle that will ensue as uh, 10 or 15 or 20,000 Israeli infantrymen try to sort through those ruins. And the advantage, of course, will be with Hamas, because once you've rubbled a city, it's much easier to defend than a city that is intact. Yeah. Now, as, as far as Russia and China, you know, I don't agree with the characterization of those states as our enemies. We've made a lot of enemies. 
Russia was never necessarily an enemy of the United States. We've worked hard to offend them and alienate them. We've broken our promises to them. As far as China is concerned, it's in a in the midst of a serious economic turndown. They've got a real crisis at home. Uh, they're not interested in going to war with anybody. But remember, Iran produces two to three million barrels of oil a day. 20% of the world's oil supply moves every month through the Straits of Hormuz, along with 25% of the world's liquid, uh, you know, natural gas, liquefied natural gas. China depends on that. So China has a small flotilla of, of ships that operate between India, the Persian Gulf, and Africa. Their purpose is to escort vessels carrying food and other supplies like oil and natural gas to China. They're very concerned, and so China will do everything in its power to try and persuade the world to step back from what is a regional war that China is very much afraid of. So I, I don't agree with the view on China. I never have. And anybody who spends time in Northeast Asia, as I have, sees China through a very different lens. China is not Imperial Japan, and uh, we shouldn't mistake it for that. It's certainly not uh, Soviet Union. And Russia is not the Soviet Union. If anything, it's closer to what czarist Russia used to be. So I think we're, we're provoking this be simply because we are effectively providing the Israelis with a blank check. Yep. And that is very dangerous. You know, small states, all small states are always interested in leveraging big states for their purposes. It makes perfect sense. And if I were sitting there right now as an Israeli looking at things, uh, angry over what's happened uh, with Hamas and, and regarding Gaza as a permanent cancer that has to be cut out, I would turn and try to leverage the United States. I mean, right now, Mr. Netanyahu can have whatever he wants for the asking. He effectively controls Congress. And uh, he's got pretty much whatever he wants at this stage. But it's dangerous because the average American when confronted with a large regional war involving multiple major powers, is going to walk, wake, wake up at some point and say, what are we doing? How did this happen? I don't think you're going to find very many Americans on the street when they finally understand what's going on that thinks it's a good idea for us to go to war with essentially the Muslim world, specifically Iran and Turkey, as well as China and Russia. Now, I don't think the Chinese are going to come in anytime soon unless we provoke them. But I do think the Russians will have to make a decision as the war develops. And it's hard for me to imagine them allowing Iran or Turkey or both to be destroyed by us. I don't think that's going to go down very well. So we're, we're, on, the, we're on the precipice of something really, really bad. And we have no diplomacy. I don't think we have any strategy other than we agree with you, BB, go for it. You know, that's the best point you make, and it's the last thing I want to touch with you on, Colonel, because this is the there there. We, the United States, are literally funding both sides of every foreign war on the planet, especially in the Middle East. Where we send aid is the same place that we send artillery and munitions to, and I just don't understand how more people can't wake up to the fact that the military-industrial complex and the international lobby groups have more power than our Congress, than our Senate, and our president combined. And they are literally the grease that keeps these gears rolling. And until people start trying to stop that huge apparatus, we're going to be continuing to be in this situation 
for the entirety of our republic. And I just want you to provide a little commentary on, on that note because I think it's the most important factor here. You can talk about all the, the strategy and the players involved and stuff like that, but when you talk about how are these people in these third world crap hole countries able to stand up and have great military forces and, and continue to arm themselves and just deprive their people for so many years. And when you look back to the physical receipts, it's because the United States has been funding everyone forever. Well, I'm sure you must have seen the photographs of the various American military equipment, arms, and munitions that came from Ukraine to Hamas. Yep. I mean, this is our great achievement in Ukraine, the, probably one of the most corrupt nations in the world, certainly the most corrupt in Europe. Uh, we've managed to turn them into an arms bazaar. And, of course, they transship a lot of this through Kosovo, yeah. another creature of our foreign policy, which is also hopelessly corrupt and a, a transition point for, you know, Islamist radicals and, and killers and terrorists, as well as uh, munitions and arms into the wrong hands. So that's one thing. The second thing is there isn't much daylight between the characters or the entities or the institutions you just mentioned. Remember, Congress sees itself as existing for one purpose, to pass legislation that transfers money. In other words, they're all about spending. And they'll tell you privately, if, if I don't spend money, uh, then what am I here for? And by the way, he, he also or she also will imply, if I don't spend money, I'm not going to make much because the salaries for those congressmen are not substantial. They're, the costs of, of moving to and back and forth from Washington and travel are not cheap. So everyone has his handout in Washington to all the lobbies, whatever those lobbies are. Everybody is promising everybody something in order to get cash. So then you come to the defense industry, and the defense industry is like every other private sector firm. They want to make money. The problem is that we've consolidated these industries into five major ones to the point where one wonders, as you point out, who's really in control, the five industries who are de facto state-sponsored industries or, you know, people in the military and, and people at the top of the government. It's hard to tell. But there's one thing that we can say with absolute certainty. Washington is swimming in cash. Yeah, Everybody's getting rich, and they're very happy about that. And they don't understand what's at stake. They don't understand the dangers involved. I mean, neither Russia nor we nor China are going to use nuclear weapons. It's not going to happen. We all understand what that means. The Israelis, though, they have nuclear weapons. And the Turks know that in a pinch, Pakistan will provide them with nuclear weapons. So if they need nuclear warheads to either deter Israel or to strike at them, they'll get them. This is not a good situation to be in. We should be looking for solutions, however imperfect, that buy us time. Buy us time to make new territorial arrangements new arrangements for the people to live inside these borders, whatever is required. But nobody's interested because the money is flowing like a flood. It's wild, Colonel, and I tell you what, you know, you've really provided some insight onto the entirety of this developing situation around the world today. We really can't appreciate enough when you take some time to come and share with our listenership. We're always going to be looking to have you back again on the show next month. And uh, we're going to be live linking ourcountryourchoice.com in the show description today, as well as your website where you could read some of the great op-eds that you often put out. We always share them on the show here on our social medias. And uh, we'll live link your X page as well. I want everybody to just uh, one more time think about what was said today. Take a strong look at everything that's going on right now. 
and, and just see how this developing situation in real time is very accurately described here and, and kind of unpacked for our listenership by this retired U.S. Army colonel providing some great insight today. Douglas McGregor, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, guys. All the best. Hey, Natasha, the southern border continues to be a political vulnerability for President Biden. New numbers actually released today by Customs and Border Protection do show that a record number of migrants crossed into the U.S. in the month of September with over 260,000 migrant encounters. That's more than the entire population of Lincoln, Nebraska. And those numbers don't include individuals who illegally entered the country, were detected, but were never apprehended by Border Patrol agents. Earlier this year, migrant encounters were trending downward, but have skyrocketed rocket in recent months with over 200,000 migrant encounters in the month of August. News Nation was on the ground in El Paso and Texas in September as the city was averaging an overwhelming number of 2,000 migrant encounters a day. Some cities are so overwhelmed that families could be sleeping on the streets. Officials telling News Nation that resources are stretched thin with no help from the federal government. Now, federal officials are also concerned with individuals who are known or either suspected terrorists crossing from special interest countries, especially with the ongoing war in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. Since the war started in Israel, uh, migrants coming from those special interest countries have increased. According to CBP data, those countries do include Egypt, Syria, Yemen, and Iran. In a week span, agents in Tucson encountered 27 migrants from Syria. During that same time, 18 people from Iran and three people from Lebanon were also encountered at the southern border. 18 people on the FBI's terror watch list were apprehended at the southern border just in the month of September alone. And so far in the fiscal year of 2023, 169 individuals on that FBI terror watch list were apprehended on the southern border. That's more than the previous six years combined, Natasha. So a national security alert right now for officials on the southern border. That was News Nation national correspondent, great friend of the show. You may recognize his voice, Jorge Ventura, last night reporting down in El Paso. And, you know, the the Senate had a hearing yesterday which hosted some of the all-stars from the Department of Homeland Security and HHS. And what's telling outside of those numbers is the numbers inside of that which show the mismanagement and mishandling of the unaccompanied minors that have come across the border as well. Why does that sound familiar? I feel like we've talked about this a thousand times. I I do want to remind everybody, because there was an official press statement released from the State Department today, not regarding this or the kicking off of World War III, which is currently happening. Mm. Hope you guys enjoyed that little segment with Colonel McGregor. He's always absolute fire when he comes on the show. Happy... Intersex Awareness Day, Noah. Intersex Awareness? Yeah. Scissor me timbers. Mm. Happy Intersex Awareness Day from your U.S. State Department. Is that when you like to have sex with insects? Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's it's awful what's gone on down on the southern border, but you can't take out of context what's happening with the kids. And when you hear from some of the senators that we're going to hear from, some of our favorites... The numbers are absolutely telling. First clip we're going to check out right now is Senator John Kennedy and his exposure of what's going on down at the Department of Homeland Security in in regards to processing these people, and especially children when they're coming across the border. Let's hear it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Morant, um, since President Biden's been president, uh, how many non-American citizens have come into our country illegally or on the basis of a claim of asylum? 
Thank you, Senator. Um, HSI as an investigative agency is... Uh, how, how, do you know the number? <laughs> no, Senator. You're a senior member of Homeland Security, are you not? That's correct. Does anybody know the number? None of you know the number. Try 8 million. Now, of that 8 million, how many were children, Mr. Morant? Somebody doesn't have the data. I don't have that number. Mm. You don't know. Does anybody know? None of you know. Isn't that special? Is he answering that no, nobody knows? Let's assume half. Isn't that special? Did he nod or shake okay. his head? Eight million is four Nebraskas. Oof. Nebraskas. Right? Yeah. Four new states. Let's assume, I don't think it's as high, half of them are children. How many of, the, how many of those eight million people are still here? Do any of you know? Okay. Um, how, many, how many of those eight million are claiming asylum? You don't know? How many of them claim asylum and don't show up for their hearing? Are they just giving stupid blank look? What are they doing? He's talking and he keeps going back to them and they're all just sitting there with their hands folded. Nobody knows. Are they nodding, shaking their How heads, many of them blinking? claim asylum, don't show up for the hearing, and President Biden has deported them? Mm, good question. Mm. You don't know? How, how many of them have claimed asylum, shown up for their asylum hearing, and been denied asylum, and been deported? You don't know. I know that situation looks absolutely disgusting. I would be willing to wait. I mean, I know that they're on like the the fucking chess clock whenever they're they're doing this shit, but I would be willing to wait and like, all right, here, tell you what, why don't you take out your phone and call somebody and figure it out? Mm-hmm. I want you to get me that number because I know somebody fucking has it. My least favorite one is a senator or congressman or woman. I'd be more than happy to get back with my office and then our office could reach out to your office and we'll get you that data and information as soon as possible. Basically, you could just have KJP up there answering all these questions for everybody. Yeah. It's the same bullshit, dodgy. I mean, at least they weren't answering all fucking smug like Mayorkas does. I fucking hate that guy. Well, I could tell you this much. I could tell you this much, Noah. The answers would be both historic and transparent. <laughs> transparent. I feel like that's never what, <laughs> never what she means. <clears throat> Happy. Intersex Awareness Day. <sighs> Senator Hawley. Is that like a human centipede? Ugh. <laughs> Who is set up so gracefully by Senator Kennedy was not as Southern hospitality, Ooh. to say the least. Let's hear him. No sweet tea? Mm-mm. No pecan pie. Ms. Marcos, can I just start with you? You testified a moment ago to Senator Butler that every child gets a Know Your Rights presentation. Oh, is that correct? Perfect. That is correct. Is that before or after you release them to labor traffickers? Mm. Senator, every child that comes into our care gets a Know Your Rights presentation as well as... Have you read these New York Times reports, these stories, the the series of stories the New York Times has done on the children who are in your care? Have you read them? Yes, I have. Have you read that children are scrubbing dishes, 
They are operating heavy machinery. They are delivering, delivering meals. They are harvesting coffee. They are working construction. They are working as housekeepers. They are working overnight shifts at plants where they are not paid. They are not going to school. They are not cared for. They are not giving meals, almost all of it illegally. Are you aware of that? That's a yes or no. Yes. He would go on to berate her and talk about, he would have the huge printed out posters. There was one from that New York Times expose, which talks about a leak that came from the direct office of Xavier Becerra, who's the head of HHS, where he talks about if people aren't willing to process these children in such a fashion that resembles the old Ford processing plants where they built cars in that fast of an expedited manner, he would fire those people and bring in people who blindly would. This lady almost got, she was ready to cry. And she's like, I do believe that New York Times article came out before I was hired on. He's like, yeah, that's because he fired the person who wasn't doing it fast enough. So he brought you, you in there to do it. So <laughs> what the hell are you doing? And she was just spe- some just big fat pantsuit wearing blob. Definitely has pronouns in her email. Mm had no answers except for the fact that they had to admit that this was going on. Did she say happy intersex awareness day? Mm. It's awful. So they want, they basically just want it to be a fucking production line of releasing people. I mean, I guess it's kind of true that that's how they're doing it right now. I mean, they don't really vet people who are buying Fords either. (laughs) Good point. You know, and, and, and the sad part was he talked about, the aftercare, how many phone calls go out to these sponsors who take children? How many physical follow-up home visits do these people? Oh, zero. I guarantee zero. zero. Maybe the phone call, but they get to check the box that they made the phone call. It doesn't matter if anybody picked up. It doesn't matter if it was a fucking Taco Bell. It doesn't matter. They said more members of Congress get phone calls from people who are worried about those Where who, their children are. No, those who live in their district who said, I have seen the Department of Homeland Security and HHS drop off people at these shady houses and no one's checking on them. I don't. I see adults going in and out. I see different children coming and going. And it's like they're not calling the social workers to come because the social workers aren't coming. They're calling their congressmen to say, please bring this up in hearings because this is happening in your district or your state. It's 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 not okay. The, the way that this is going, and it's not safe for these children. That's 100%. I mean, they're, they're literally ending up in, in indentured servitude. 100,000 children at the bare minimum that they have no idea where they are out of the probably half a million that have come in. How do you argue that this is okay? They couldn't. I mean, you just heard two plain receipts of either I don't have the data or I know what's going on, but I don't have an answer on what I should be doing otherwise because that's what I'm told to do. So I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing, which is release people willy-nilly into the United States. Mm-hmm. That's just the fucking umbrella term for what's happening right now everywhere. Yeah, we're going to segue to the back end of that Senate hearing yesterday. But before we do, guys, wherever you're listening to the podcast, say we hope you're enjoying it. We provided you with a lot of great guests. We've still got the media director over at the Center for Renewing America, Kingsley Cortez, coming in on the back end here to round out the show today. Make sure you're following us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Follow the show. Make sure it's downloading. Give us a five-star review. Rate it. If we get an absolute heater, we'll read it on the show. In addition, across all social medias, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. While the Department of Homeland Security was up, one of the biggest concerns is people from terrorist interest countries coming into the United States unabated, in the most cases, being released. They have no idea where these people are. 
This all falls onto the sanctions that were put on Iran by the Trump administration and how Joe Biden has done everything he can to erase them. Senator Kennedy wanted to hit on this while he had DHS in the room. Let's hear him. President Biden has not chosen to impose the uh, the snapback sanctions under the JPCOA, has he? Correct. Okay. Um, Ms. Pletka, who has the $6 billion? It's in a bank in Qatar. Okay. So Qatar has control of it. In essence, that is correct, although... Well, let me put it this way. If the, if the Qatar bank... There's a Qatar bank. If the Qatar tells them to do something, the United States tells them not to do something, who's the bank going to listen to? Well, that's the, that is the question before who's us right now. Who's the bank going to listen to? Qatar, the, of their course. government. Okay. And isn't it a fact that back in 2021, Treasury Yellen, through uh, special drawing rights at the International Monetary Fund, gave... Uh, Iran, four and a half billion dollars? Yep. That's what I understand, yes. And she'd like to give them more. That's what I understand, yes. That's like cash money. It's really a dividend. You can cash in for U.S. dollars. Is that right? Uh, That's what I understand. Wow. (laughs) It seems to me that we we, we could cut off Hamas or at least to go, go a long way toward doing that by hummus? actually just enforcing Definitely cut off the things that we already say we're enforcing. Every authority that is necessary to cut off Iran, Hamas, and every other terrorist group is already in the president's hands. The question is never whether the president can, it's whether the president will. Mm. Well, why has the Biden administration been so soft on Iran? If we know Iran is funding Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, the, the, uh, the, the, their surrogates in Syria. This the is exactly what Colonel Iraq. McGregor said, right, Noah? Yeah. Why has President Biden's administration been so soft on them? Well, they not- just, do they just think love is the answer and, and that, <laughs> that, that, that this isn't a bar fight? And that, I mean, it just looks to me like this administration is quoting Socrates in the middle of a prison riot. Jeez, it's hard not to like him he's so good you know and and, but the sad part is is that when you see all this stuff going on it ties i wanted to throw that clip in there because it tied into directly what colonel mcgregor alluded to as far as confirming that the biden administration is funding both sides of every major skirmish and proxy war on the planet right now and the only people that are in harm's way are the american citizens who live in this country and are scattered all over the world with all of these open borders everywhere, not just here in the United States, and the amount of extremists that have come in who are looking to do them nothing but harm. And how important it is to realize that Joe Biden has had the opportunity to just continue along on with the Trump plan that was working to just put our enemies in the worst situation possible. And just because it was part of the Trump doctrine, Joe Biden has erased them. And look what it's caused. You know, I really do feel if Joe Biden lasts in this race here, Noah, for president next year, and and this is the only reason, I I feel like they're brushing up these flames all over the world just to make it look like Joe Biden would appear to be a wartime president. It's worked in the past, but I just feel like the American people right now cannot stand. Joe Biden? Just where our country's at. Yeah. And, And when you look at some of these numbers that have come out against Joe Biden, 
I'm going to pull this one up right now. His approval rating just for this week among Democrats has plummeted to a record low of 75% approval, down 11 percentage points over just the last month, according to a new Gallup poll that came up yesterday. How many? Only 75% of Democrats actually support Joe Biden right now. Last month, it was 86%. Yeah, it sounds bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, just imagine this. I mean, I was like, 75%, that's a lot. But when it went down from 80, that's a huge dip. So don't buy this dip. <laughs> don't buy the dip. If there was a head-to-head matchup just today of Joe Biden and Donald Trump on a presidential ticket, and let's just say half of the 25% of all Democrats voted for Donald Trump because of their severe disapproval of Joe Biden, Donald Trump would walk away in not only an electoral college victory, but probably a popular vote win as well. It's wild. Mm. And, you know, Gallup poll is not one that definitely favors America first and for certain doesn't favor Donald Trump. Head-to-head matchup, is that intersex? Mm. Awareness? Day. (laughs) Man, I wish I could have. I wanted to pull one of KGP talking about it, but I just I didn't have time for it today. It was, yeah, it was a no. little more of a serious. I could I could skip all following uh, audio clips of that fucking vapid idiot. And, and all this funding for these foreign wars, um, proxies on both sides, including all the money Joe Biden has given to Iran, comes on the heel of allegations that there are Iranian and Palestinian. Yeah, is that, that intersex? That there are Iranian and Palestinian sympathizers working within the State Department. And the Department of Homeland Security. I'm not surprised. Senator Ted Cruz was on Mornings with Maria yesterday, and he was kind of hitting on this fact hard right now that the government that's funding these wars have agents working inside of our government. And what you just mentioned with Rob Malley remains one of the greatest national security scandals in our nation's history. So Rob Malley was was Joe Biden's chief negotiator for Iran. He's an incredible Iran sympathizer. He is an advocate, a passionate advocate for the disastrous Obama-Iran nuclear deal. But he also has extraordinarily bad judgment. He's been fired. He's had his security clearances stripped, which I want you to pause and think, just how bad does his conduct have to be to have his security clearances pulled by this ideological and radical White House? But we now know also that, among other things, Three of Rob Malley's top advisors, his, his inner circle his, his, the, that he relied on, were Iranian operatives. Yep. They were recruited by the government of Iran. They were directed by the Iranian foreign minister. They reported to the Iranian foreign minister. We have their emails now in which they discuss. One of them discusses with the foreign minister that, that his loyalties are with the government of Iran, and he is there to do whatever they direct, including making the message from within the federal government that, that, that there's nothing wrong with Iran having a nuclear stockpile. You literally had hmm. three Iranian spies working in senior positions directly around the U.S. government. One of them, as far as we know, remains a chief of staff in the Department of Defense to this day with access to classified documents. And yet the corporate media cannot be brought to mention that three Iranian spies were brought into senior levels of government with access to classified materials while working directly for Iran. And that's the thing. That's not good. You have all of these scumbags and all of these holdovers from the first Obama administration, right? Jake Sullivan, Victoria Nuland, you've got Valerie Jarrett, John Kerry, Susan Rice, Lisa Monaco, all of the heads of these agencies, Xavier Becerra, Merrick Garland, 
Alejandro Mayorkas, they were all scandal-ridden. They were all extremely partisan. They were awful people when Barack Obama was president. They brought in so many people in their donor class and lobby groups to staff the highest levels of government agencies, like nearly cabinet-level or director-level positions, like working in their direct staffs who have access to all of our secrets, you can't even begin to fathom how much our national security has been compromised internally, not even talking about the blunders that we've experienced under Secretary Austin and people like General Milley over the course of the last three years. So not only are we tripping over ourselves, did you see uh, on Sunday, Noah, a, a Chinese fighter jet buzzed a B-52 bomber, came within 10 feet of hitting it. So international incident waiting to happen. Yeah. I mean, the level of respect, because they know there's not going to be a pushback, and Joe Biden bombing a couple airstrips in, in northern Syria is not what's going to tell Iran, oh, Joe Biden means fucking business. We better stop doing what we're doing. Donald Trump bombed the airstrips, but then he vaporized Soleimani. Yeah. Donald Trump led an offensive against ISIS, and then we watched as he blew himself up in an escape tunnel. There's a huge difference, because right now, the leadership of Hamas and high-ranking delegation of Iran was in Russia this week, and the foreign minister, who's wanted around the world for war crimes, is walking the streets of New York City shopping with a Secret Service detail. How much did that cost the American public? I don't Somebody even want that wants to literally destroy us, and we're spending our money making sure that they get a hot dog in peace. I don't even want to begin to speculate on that. But as we're getting ready to round it out here and jump in with Kingsley Cortez, I do have... He probably went and got Chicago-style pizza, too. One more segment. <laughs> and it leads to my last point, which was I hope we keep Joe Biden in the White House and really? in this race really? through 2024 because really? one of Texas's fighting first U.S. representatives, Troy Nels, likes... Joe Biden in this race against Donald Trump because he knows no, but that's that's actually really true. He cannot beat him. So for our last audio clip of the week, let's hear the Texas congressman hype up President Trump. Good morning, uh, Congressman. So as a GOP strategist, we're all very excited to see that we finally have a speaker. The conference is united. But are we united in terms of picking up uh, where Kevin McCarthy left off when it comes to um, the impeachment inquiry? Will the Republicans band together? I mean, you're part of the Judiciary Committee. W what's the next steps here? Listen, you've got the, the, obviously you've got some in this administration and, and some on the far left that call the Mega Mike Johnson. I kind of like that. I think it has a great ring to it, quite honestly. Like Mega Mike Johnson. He is a true conservative. Obviously, he supports Donald Trump. Donald Trump supports him. So we need to continue to expose this administration for who they are. I support the impeachment of Joe Biden. I don't think it goes anywhere in the Senate because I've made it very, very clear. We need to make sure we don't put too much stress on him, give him his warm milk and put him to bed at night because we need him to be the nominee. I want him to be the Democrat nominee because Donald Trump is going to clean him up. He's going to wipe him out and he'll be our next president. Yeah. Love the words from Congressman Nels. He'll be joining us again in our November editions of the show. Uh, in addition to that, you know, there was this developing story this week that I really just want to see and learn a little bit more about. We kind of touched on it a little bit where there's like the 40 FBI agents over the course of decades that have reported on the misdealings, the bribery scandals, et cetera, on Joe Biden. 
I think Jamie Comer's just trying to get that out into the public eye. And before we start to pretend we're experts on it here on the show, I mean, we just provide political commentary and analysis. I want to be able to kind of break it down for myself a little bit more. So we'll probably be checking that out on our Tuesday edition of the show, but not a bad one here. We still got Kingsley Cortez coming in right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, she does a little digital media at the Center for Renewing America. She's also the National Committee Woman for the Washington, D.C. Young Republicans. Yes, we're talking about Ms. Kingsley Cortez. She's back and joining us on the show. Welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Always a pleasure. Well, it's been a busy week up on Capitol Hill and in the swamp where you're at. We did have a ray of light as some are looking at it. We touched on the new speakership with Mike Johnson coming in. About midweek, we've had a trio of congressmen that have come in to support him as well on the show today. Andrew Clyde, uh, Ben Klein, and Matt Rosendale all joined us. And it seems like not only are they enthused about him winning the gavel, but they're even more excited to be getting back to work. As you probably saw Kings leading just the first 24 hours, we will able to get an appropriations bill passed, energy and water. Mm-hmm. And, and they're already uh, looking, looking like off on the right foot. How are you seeing it from where you're at right now, though? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that what Matt Gates did was really historic. And I think, you know, he got a lot of flack from it, right, for talk from talking heads on Fox News to, you know, um, people who like to complain on Twitter, I guess it's called (laughs) X now. And they said, you know, I hate this chaos. What's the plan? There was a plan all along. And the plan was to hold Kevin McCarthy accountable. We had to make sure that he faced the music. He lied to the American people. He broke the promises that he made to members of Congress when he won the speakership back in January. Um, So Gates was perfectly correct to oust him. And what that did was really allow for a more America first candidate to come into the speakership slot. And I think, you know, Mike Johnson is someone who is a social conservative, um, who believes in the principles of our Constitution. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do. You know, I think at the very bare minimum, he is an honest guy that we can trust and that we can work with. He's not a Kevin McCarthy that's going to say one thing to your face and then stab you in the back. He's going to be straight up with you. And I think that's what at the end of the day, Republican congressmen need to be successful. We need to know that people are telling us the truth, that they're being truthful with the American people. They're not trying to hide anything or playing these swamp backroom door games. Um, So Mike Johnson's honest. And, you know, I think he is America first. He is MAGA. He's probably the most MAGA um, or America first um, candidate that we've ever had win the speakership. So there's a lot for us to celebrate, I think, as conservatives. But of course, you know, words are great. Promises are great. We want action. And I think that that is something I'm hopeful we'll see from him. But, you know, I'll be the first to hold his feet to the fire if he lets us down in any way. I can tell you that. Well, you know, that's that's a great point you make. And we actually asked Representative Rosendale about that. You know, he was originally one of the 20. He was then one of the eight uh, as far as holding Mm -hmm. up some of these things. And it has been one of the, the guys who actually went up to Congress this year and in this session at least has done what he campaigned to do. And that's hold the establishment and Kevin McCarthy and the Uniparty accountable to the best of his ability. I mean, all he has 
causes one vote, but it's been huge at times. And, and, and you know, we've asked him about, well, what do you say about all these detractors on social media and these people that are already giving them a, a hard time? Do we tell people to take a breath? Or, and he's like, absolutely not. The best way to make sure that Mike Johnson continues to do the job that he said he was going to do when he won the speaker gavel this week was to continue to call all of your representatives who are working on all these appropriations and, and legislation underneath him because they felt so uncomfortable throughout the speakership process. There's only one way to make them continue to feel uncomfortable and do the work that they were sent up to Capitol Hill to do, and that's by continuing to contact them, blow up their phones, emails, and stuff like that. And I thought that was a really good insight to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think everyone has a role to play in dismantling this deep state. And for people like Mike Johnson, his job as speaker is to kind of work with coalitions, to work with different groups of people and to push as best he can an America first agenda while also bringing along moderates, because unfortunately, you know, we need their votes. Not everyone is a Matt Gates or a Lauren Boebert on the Hill. I wish that was every single congressman, but that's just not the case right now. So he has to be a realist. He has to be pragmatic um, and make deals that serve the interests of the American people. And then it is the job of the voters, you know, to be holding their representatives accountable. And it's the job of media like you guys and, you know, different influencers on Twitter to then, you know, be critical when Mike Johnson does something that we don't like. Um, and like I said, to hold his feet to the fire. So there are a lot of different kind of roles that each of us get to play um, as we really try to work together to save our country. And I think, you know, people on Twitter and the naysayers who kind of, you know, hate Mike Johnson already or are casting judgment, um, we have to remind ourselves like he is the man in the arena. Um, he hasn't made any bad moves yet that I've seen so far. There have been a couple comments that, you know, weren't super encouraging, but there's been no negative action. And I think we have to remind ourselves that over Kevin McCarthy, this is a massive improvement, a massive win. Um, and we should celebrate that and we should only keep to continue to push our representatives to deliver more. And I have to say, Ukraine is probably least enthusiastic about this Mike Johnson, Johnson speakership than yes. anybody else. I mean, their gravy train is going to stop. Um, they see the American checkbook closing and they hate that. And, you know, if Zelensky's unhappy, then I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I'll be yeah, honest sweat, with you. Sweatsuit's pissed right now. Yeah, he's definitely, Cookie Monster's not happy. But the thing is, we, we can confirm here on the show after talking with several congressmen and even more outside of the show with their staffers and other offices. Mike Johnson went up to Capitol Hill yesterday and then he took a trip over to the White House to meet with Joe Biden and told him that the party is over as far as Ukraine goes. The funding is not going down to zero. Obviously, a lot of people need to understand things like the pre-baked money that we give to Israel has been in the federal budget since Israel became a nation. Things like the funding for Ukraine was already existing all the way back from, you know, 2013 when we kind of did the little color revolution thing there. <laughs> so it's not going to automatically go down to zero, but these are not going to be attached to things like border security anymore or any of the other BS mm -hmm. at the Biden administration. And they're going to be heavily scrutinized. You know, there was a couple of congressmen on the show today, Kingsley, who said, instead of giving Israel more stuff, why don't we just look at the $6 billion that we annually give to them and start breaking it down to meet the needs that they have right now. So instead of just giving them cash for funding, we could take out some of those millions or billions and change that into, uh, you know, rearming the iron dome and providing munitions. Mm -hmm. to and I think when you look at it comprehensively like that, it makes sense. And, you know, it's funny. I, I noticed on your Twitter or X profile, you have, you know, the picture of the declaration of independence and the process that they went to. I think a lot of people, don't understand that even though that moment in our nation's history, I feel was divine intervention, just something that has never happened since we've done it. 
it was probably not everybody go in there and say like, this is going to be awesome. We're all going to agree on everything and moving forward. There's going to be no problems. And there was probably a lot of backroom fighting and arguing people that want to do stuff. Like when they left England, people that wanted to do stuff that was completely new and comprehensive at the time that they wanted to start in the United States. And, and there was a process to get there. You could flip a switch and motion to vacate the speaker. But if you want to completely redefine and, and just rebrand the Republican Party, there is going to be a process. And, and they, I think they have the opportunity to start that now on this back end of the, this session of Congress. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think you make a great point here as well. We, I think, forget now just in the mass media age, we're more aware of these, you know, arguments that are happening on the floor and the backdoor deals and the hatred with different personalities on the Hill that's going on. Um, but this chaos, this messiness is what it means to be a democratic republic. Like this is not supposed to be something that is easy or pretty or comfortable. It's, oh, there's always going to be tension. There's always going to be conflicting interests. And you're right. It's been that way since our founding. I mean, you even think back to, um, times of history like the civil war like we were so insanely divided yep. yet we found a way forward so i think you know having that perspective is really important here and i think that a lot of people a lot of the people who say you know we hate the chaos matt gates unleashed it we don't like this we want our leaders to be you know just doing their job and not causing a lot of disruption people who don't like chaos or don't like disruption what that really means is I want the status quo. Yeah. And I can tell you one thing from talking to voters across this country, they do not want the status quo. Crime is skyrocketing. Inflation is totally out of control. We're shipping blank checks, as you said, to Ukraine. The southern border is being totally invaded by illegal immigrants. We have no idea who they are, if they come from terror hotspots. It is a total mess. People do not want the status quo. And I think, you know, while talking heads on Fox News or on Newsmax, they hate to see this kind of chaos that sows division. The American people like it because they see my representative is fighting for me. They're pushing back against the D.C. swamp regime that has for so long forgotten about my interests and served only themselves. So I think, you know, the American people are all for it. Um, and I think that they have really found a true fighter in Mike Johnson. Again, I think he is a true kind of textbook conservative and i think he understands where we are in this moment because a lot of you know traditional reagan old school conservatives they often don't want to prosecute big tech or don't want to trust bust big tech right because that goes against the principles of free market mike johnson is one of these classic conservatives that understands where we are in time and space he realizes that big tech is a threat to americans liberties rights to free speech and he's willing to trust bust them because of that he's wrecked them in countless judiciary hearings um so you know he's someone that i think is a true fighter and i'm excited to see what he's going to do and i'm excited to see what these other members are going to do i think you know the gates eight in many ways show that they can be true leaders and true forces for change and i only hope to see you know the eight of them increase tenfold well that's the thing People keep saying that, you know, they want to throw the blame and it's easy when there's such a few of them as eight. That's eight out of 221 currently. So it's not like the numbers are in their favor and the opinions that they promote that sometimes people push back on. It's definitely the, the minority up on Capitol Hill, but it sounds like it's the one that best identifies with the people. So we're going to continue to track that as we always do here on the show. And I loved your commentary on that, Kingsley. I do want to segue a little bit while we still got you. So President Trump had a busy week, obviously, between 
you know, congratulating Speaker Johnson through what's going on in his Manhattan civil trial right now, which has just turned into an absolute clown show. Uh, he's looking forward to having some speaking events this weekend before holding a massive rally down in South Florida next week as counter-programming to what should be the last Republican debate in the fake primary is what we call it here <laughs> because President Trump's <laughs> not participating in it. It really can't be the, the presidential primary debate. As you've seen him kind of weather this storm and continues to pick up steam, not only in his energy level and the messaging that he's delivering to the American people, but still continuing in the polls. I used to think maybe a month or two ago, man, this guy's getting so high, it's going to be hard to shave points off every time these new polls come out. But every week I come out and it sees you know Donald Trump plus two, plus three, plus five. And now you're seeing general election polls in a head-to-head matchup with Joe Biden, even when you add more people to the mix, where Donald Trump looks like the clear favorite now as Joe Biden is around 70-ish percent and disapproved for just about every major item on the docket. What can we say about the rest of this primary season right now? And, and when you see people like Perry Johnson and Larry Elder bailing out and throwing their money and, and supporters and endorsement behind President Trump, how much of a red light or red flag should that be to the rest of the primary field that they should really read the writing on the wall and get behind President Trump so we could defeat Joe Biden next November? No, they absolutely should. You're correct. It's criminal that they're not doing so. And I think it's just horrendous, too, that the RNC, as you said, is continuing to put on these debates. President Trump is the Republican nominee. It has never been more clear, I think, in any presidential primary that I can remember, that he is the guy who has the basis support. Um, who the American people want to see represent them in the White House. So to keep hosting these, you know, I like to call them Secretary of the Interior debates. <laughs> keep hosting these Secretary of the Interior debates is a true slap in the face to, I think, Republican voters who are sending the RNC money, who are funding a lot of these people's pushy D.C. salaries um, just to have these events that don't serve the American people. Um, and they totally take away, I think, from the fight that Donald Trump is engaged in. You talk about how he's being prosecuted all over the country. Donald Trump is facing down the barrel of the deep state and he is taking them head on. And for us not to put all of our energy, all of our focus into combating that and defeating them, I think is a massive mistake because, you know, Donald Trump always says they're coming after me because I'm fighting for you. And that has never been more true, I think, than now. You've seen what they've done after he left office to the January 6th peaceful protesters. They've locked those guys up in jail. If we don't fight for Donald Trump to dismantle the deep state from his position in the Oval Office in 2024, we won't have a country anymore. The second he gets out of office, if he wins in 2024, which I think he will, sure. they're going to come after us if we don't fire these deep state bureaucrats clean house at the DOJ, the FBI. These agencies are totally woke and weaponized and they've got to go. And Donald Trump is the only person who understands that. And he's willing to fight for the American people. And it's just crazy to me to see people like Ron DeSantis who <laughs> get, you know, pull at 8% now yep. below double digits tied with Nikki Haley think that they have a chance. And you're right. People who are donating to them, I mean, they're just setting money on fire at this point. What yeah. is the point? It's totally ludicrous. And then this week we have Ron DeSantis saying that he's going to be sending, you know, ammo and weaponry and drones to Israel. And of course, Israel is an ally, but it just shows that he is not understanding this time and place. We are dealing with enemies here at home. We need to be focused on the battle here. We need to have an America first posture in the Republican Party. And that means getting behind Donald Trump. So I think every one of these candidates should drop out, 
They should endorse President Trump and they should fight for the American people because the American people want Trump 2024. It's never been more clear than now. No, it certainly hasn't. And I'll be honest with you, Kingsley, I don't want to make this awkward. It's actually kind of funny. President Trump's Secretary of the Interior, David Bernhardt, he's actually a regular guest on this show. And I'll be completely honest with you. No, you can probably agree. <laughs> there isn't a, a candidate on the stage in the fake primary who could do a better job with the Secretary of Interior than no. David Bernhardt did. He got D.C. out of D.C. and moved it back out to the state. So it was awesome that you brought that up. And I'm glad we could, uh, you know, say that I don't even think they're worth that much. But Kingsley, this has been awesome seeing <laughs> down with you today. We're obviously going to live link everything, the Center for Renewing America, the the Washington, D.C. Young Republicans Club as well. But for anyone that's not following you on social media and wants to check you out, where can they? I am at Kingsley Cortez, Cortez with an S on every platform. Yeah, please check me out um, and check out Center for Renewing America and DC Young Republicans as well. Thanks so thanks so much, guys. Great to be with you. Absolutely fantastic. She does great work doing digital media at the Center for Renewing America. She's also the National Committee Woman for the Washington, DC Young Republicans. Ms. Kingsley Cortez, thanks for joining us and have a great weekend. Busy week, Noah, but I think we nailed it. Nailed it like intersex awareness? Happy Intersex Awareness Day. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now nearly 290 other editions of the show, you better be downloading us across every downloadable podcasting platform or on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Make sure you're following us on social medias as well. Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming in today. Congressman Andrew Clyde, Congressman Bed Klein, Congressman Matt Rosendale, Retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor and digital media strategist for the Center for Renewing America, Ms. Kingsley Cortez. You guys all definitely helped make this episode of Steak great again. Guys, don't worry. As long as World War III doesn't happen, we'll be back with a Tuesday edition of the show. It's actually going to be an absolute heater. We've got Ambassador Rick Grinnell scheduled, Newsweek commentator Josh Hammer joining us as well. Senator Tommy Tuberville will be sitting down with us for the first time, and we'll finally be catching up with Representative Lauren Boebert. So on behalf of the pod team, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening, and take care. have agreed to be brought here, handcuffed to these beds, and become the prototype of our first truly interface device. The first what? They have actually agreed to be surgically altered. Their lips will be removed, and they will be sewn together mouth to anus. What? You agree to this, mouth to anus, so that the feces from the gastral tract from one will enter the mouth of the little boy, and he agreed this was okay, Enter the mouth of the little boy, leading through his anus to the mouth of the female, who completely agreed, they all agreed, which will then go to a tablet device, making a product that is part human and part centipede and part web browser and part emailing device. I give you the human centipad.